castle, an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome everyone to January 19th, 1992 in the Legacy Series. It is the Royal Rumble 1992. It's the Knickerbocker Arena. It's Albany, New York. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the most exciting pay-per-views in the series so far. In fact, if I were to go back in time and to watch one in real time, I'm not sure there is anything that we've covered, including a WrestleMania, that would be my choice over this. It would be definitely in that top tier. This is um, an event that evolves the Royal Rumble. It goes from an event that if it, if it had gone away before 1992, it would have been, I think, oh, that was just a giant battle royal where guys like Hacksaw and Hulk Hogan, who needed a little bit of more spotlight, got it. But this is for the WWF title in an era where the belt changes hands. It's starting to change hands more frequently, but still, you look at the last 10 years, look at the last five years, look at the opportunities where the belt has been up for grabs and it's not Hulk Hogan and somebody else, or the Ultimate Warrior and somebody else. The belt is up for grabs and there are 30 people who might leave as champion and New York just seems like the place to do this. Ladies and gentlemen, I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague. He is Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Welcome to the Royal Rumble 1992. This is one of the destinations on our map as we have been going through this series. This is a high point that we have been looking forward to since the minute that we started this show. This is the Royal Rumble 1992. And as my learned colleague said, if there was one show you could go to back in time, man, this would be high on the list, and that is saying something, because the Bushwhackers have a long match on this card, so the fact that I would be willing to go back and suffer through that just to see the Royal Rumble 1992 should tell you something right there. It is a night where Ric Flair will wrestle more than an hour where he will call on the roots of his NWA abilities to succeed in the WWF like never before. It is a night where Bobby Heenan will link his soul to the Nature Boy and live and die with every moment in the ring. Bobby Heenan will go over an hour as well, and he will feel every hurt, and he will feel every triumph, and there's nothing quite like it. Oh, it's so great, and it's not just Flair, it's not just Heen in this rumble. It's so beautiful. There are stories intersecting, there are characters bumping into each other in unexpected ways. Man, there is nothing like this match. It may be my favorite match of all time. I can't wait to talk about it. It's going to be awesome. It's a lot of fun stuff on the card as well, minus the Bushwhackers. We're going to have a lot of fun today. It is a red letter day. It is an exciting day. It is the Legacy Series, and I am so glad to be alive and right here. Absolutely. 29 others. You started to say what I wanted to say next, which is what I realized 
Yes, Ric Flair gives an MVP performance. Yes, Bobby Heenan gives an MVP performance. But Ric Flair could not do what he does if there were not 29 others. You can't go an hour if you're out there by yourself. Yes, maybe he could by himself, but that wouldn't be the Royal Rumble. There are storylines. Roddy Piper has a chance to make history. Hulk Hogan wins all of these. Sid Justice, Randy Savage, Jake the Snake. But the same thing can be said about the announce booth. If Ric Flair could not have an MVP performance without those 29 men, I do not think Bobby Heenan could have the MVP level performance he has if he was in the booth with anybody else. He is in the booth with the right man in Gorilla Monsoon who knows how to lay back and let Bobby Heenan do what he needs to do and then come in with a clothesline or come in with a military press or throw him off the top rope. You are going to see MVP performances in the ring and the booth at the same time. I don't know how many times in the history of pro wrestling you're going to get what we get tonight with the Royal Rumble. Oh, it's amazing stuff. It is packed to the gills. It is star-studded, as they say. This is, um, once, once WrestleMania ends, once uh, we see Papa Shango run down that ring and Mrs. Q and mess up the match, uh, it's going to be ringing a bell on this era because we're going to see a bunch of people go out the minute that happens, pretty much. Uh, a little later in the year, you know, others would go as well. We're going to have a huge turnover. But here at the Royal Rumble... You have this 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 last shining tower of all of the great stars of this era. You've got Roddy Piper in the mix here. You've got Jake Roberts. You've got Randy Savage doing this feud. It's Hulk Hogan's last night of relevance because who the heck cares about this thing that he's going to do with Sid? Is all these huge stars bumping into each other here. It is just a shining last point of the era, and beyond here, it's going to be something else entirely, pretty much. It is. Ric Flair is a strange um, concoction here, because mm. when, when Bret Hart becomes world champion, um, especially the second time, they're going to move into this kind of hard-sell new generation. Um, what Ric Flair is, I don't know. Because he is not, just like Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels, he is not a continuation of the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan. But he's not the new generation. So we got this era that has no definition. It was given no kind of shape or definition. And I think it's a lot of different things. Like you said, at the start of it, it is the greatest of what the 80s WWF is kind of in the 90s mixed with something new happening. It will be a lot of other things, I think, as we go on. But it's just this weird period between like they've already steroid scandal has started hulk hogan has been on arsenio hall in in just a hard to watch segment you can feel what is happening that's even on the surface much less what is going on backstage yet we're not bret hart in the new generation right now like i don't fully know what we are and we're, we're what uh 92 30 years later or so and i don't know that we have a firm definition of what it is that we are embarking on right now <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're entering this massive transitional period, and yet something about Flair belongs more, I think, to this earlier era than the new generation. I don't know. To me, to me, he's sitting with that older crowd, even though he's different. He just comes from that time period. He came in at the tail end of that period, and 
when Ric Flair came to WWF, it was never like, oh, now he will wrestle Bret Hart. You know, that's not the conversation. No, it's all, oh, he's going to wrestle Hogan. He's going to wrestle Savage. You know, he's in that zone, that group. To me, this is still part of that, um, I don't know what you want to call it, golden age or whatever it is, that 80s era WWF. He's putting the exclamation on it, and maybe he's transitioning it to a new kind of wrestler. I don't know. He's doing some good, good stuff in there, though. He is Ric Flair, and he is pretty much giving everything he's got right now. I agree. I wrote in my notes that Ric Flair is more WWF than Bret Hart. And that's a weird thing to say. Because <laughs> wow. Canada's um, Stu Hart, that foundation is kind of built in Bret Hart is known as the WWF. But what I mean is in this time, in this context, mm. Ric Flair is more Hulk Hogan. He's more Randy Savage. And what I meant and when I wrote that in my notes, when Ric Flair is in the Royal Rumble, and I think in number 15 or 16, we just restart the whole thing again. Ric Flair is giving a performance that is like Hulk Hogan. That is like Andre the Giant. He is giving a gigantic, larger than life, character driven performance when Bret Hart becomes WWF and he will become more WWF than Bret Hart uh, than Ric Flair they will have to give it a new name because it's not the WWF that they have been but Ric Flair is like you just said he's Andre the Giant in this rumble he is Randy Savage he is Hulk Hogan in this Royal Rumble because he's larger than life he just does it differently Indeed, Bret Hart will bring that uh, kind of stoic realism, perhaps you might say, to uh, his wrestling role, and he will help change the WWF around him. Ric Flair, my God, I mean, he can be pretty gritty, as we know, and he can he can be authentic and he can go down the line. But yes, larger than life, the character, the flopping around the ring, the 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 signs that he gives to the audience, the way he works the crowd, everything about him. He is walking in color with those gods of the previous decade rather than the men that are going to come afterwards. Yeah, and he is the golden age but he has just arrived at the end of that age, which in itself is just fascinating. It It is. Yeah. I mean, this whole saga, we've talked about some as well. Um, <laughs> the wildness of all of this happening. And what is it right now? Start of 92 sting and Luger, right? Fighting over <laughs> there, over the leftovers in WCW. And that that's a situation of flares making as well. So flair fingerprints, all over wrestling at this point. He, he is, um, I won't say running the show, but he is like driving the action, even in places where he is not. Yeah, this is a world where they want to pretend like the only thing that exists is the WWF. But if you want to know the impact of Ric Flair without intention, this Royal Rumble serves almost as a this is your life for Ric Flair because aside from meeting Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan, he's going to be in there with Texas Tornado, with Greg Valentine, with Roddy Piper. So Ric Flair's stamp previous to WWF is all over this Royal Rumble and his stamp post WWF, his stamp in the WWF is of course going to be all over this thing. So the name of Ric Flair is proving itself as large in its own way as uh, that of Hulk Hogan, especially in a controversial, uh, difficult night and time for Hulk Hogan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the timing 
couldn't have been better. You know, we've talked a lot here. We've talked in um, the LP forums thread a lot about how obviously the plans for WrestleMania were derailed, and you got to think Flair was going to win this title either way. But what a different storyline, what a different run that would have been, what a different match that would have been. I think nothing near as good as what we are going to get. So Flair, yes, he is walking into some glory days. And not just by coincidence, he's not just walking in, oh, hey, some glory days. No, he's making them out uh, as he always has. He's Ric Flair, and he is one of the best of all time. Yeah, um... I don't know how to say this because you can't ask for much better or bigger of a push than to come into a company as the real world's champion to um, derail the title picture with Hogan Taker and then to win the Royal Rumble. And yet all of that's so big and overstated. And there's something about this that still in a way feels understated. I don't really fully know what that is. Like he still has to do it humbly it's almost like it takes an hour for him to do it because he could never go in there and give a big boot and a leg drop or shake the ropes like the ultimate warrior. So he's got to do it almost 77 times. You know, he's got to be thrown over the top rope and come back in, thrown over the top rope and come back in. It's a very different way to become WWF champion. But in a match where Hogan's there and Sid's there and Savage is there, he still does it. This is masterful. I don't know who my money would be on in real time, but when Bobby Heenan is swearing and Ric Flair is out number three, it would not have been on Ric Flair. Mm. Man, that's saying something. You <laughs> you look back at the title change matches uh, of the WWF Championship up to this point, and man, this could be as long as the last ten put together. Mm. Um, you're right, the WWF title was not won this way um it just uh it, it wasn't done so that that really tells you something i think about the situation about rick flair about uh i don't even know that's a very interesting thought though yeah and it's it's so obnoxious because when vince mcmahon is announcing all the names in the rumble you know he says the alleged real world's champion <laughs> and if you're objective enough and you're not living in the moment it's easy to say, oh, you need Ric Flair to be world champion or The Undertaker because you need a baby face to go over. But if you're in the moment, this man has claimed that his belt, which you never recognized, is better than yours. And then you're going to put him in a Royal Rumble against all your competitors and he's going to best all of them? Yeah, no, I mean, it's... Um for one night only, uh, WWF, I guess, was NWA country because yeah. uh, we know this company loves their babyface champions, overcoming all, posing at the end, all this stuff. They, don't, they didn't really go in too much for those heel champions. And yet here, we will see a triumph. And uh, it's not even really um, playing dirty or anything. He's in there. He's going an hour. He's doing the work. He's doing it all at the end, of course. We had Hogan and Sid, they'll have their little spat, and I guess that's the excuse, that's the out. But, man, Flair, he, he takes it all the way home here, and you can't take a single thing away from him in K-Fob or out of it. It's an interesting thing, because I, I, I told you recently, I think, that Bruce Pritchard said, of course, that Bret Hart's first title reign, he doesn't even think it would have happened at that time without the steroid scandal. Mm. And this can't really be blamed on it, because I do think, like you said, 
it would have been Flair wins the Rumble, and Hogan beats him at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. You know, in better times at different times or other times, whatever you want to say that. But man, it really does feel like WWF. This is the beginning of Vince B. The lights are on, but nobody's home. Like you, you can get away with something right now. Mm-hmm. And it has ever been a man built for the moment where you can get away with something. Ric Flair has arrived at the WWF at just the right time because he can get away with something. And my God, he does it beautifully here. Mm. Yeah, the timing is great. I mean, Flair comes in a, a couple of years earlier and does he win the title? Mm, I don't mm. know. You know, I, I am really not sure. Maybe he does, but maybe he doesn't. So the timing, as you say, worked out exceptionally well here for him. He maybe gets it. Nobody can say, but I can honestly see also him getting something like a king or a million dollar man thing that's like, hey, <laughs> just just legitimizes you. Maybe gets a, ma- a great feud with Savage, maybe even trades a win or two, and then Hulk Hogan does what Hulk Hogan does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very easy to imagine all that. So man, this is this is fascinating. I found myself watching this event in real uh, um, this week and feeling like it was in real time and being excited and nervous about what might happen on this show. Oh yeah, there's never uh, there's no match like this, you know, this whole show. There's some very interesting stuff on here, but that Rumble match, man, I can watch it. That's a match I can watch again and again. And I I don't tend to rewatch matches all that much just cuz I'm always kind of hungry for the new thing to keep uh, discovering new things, but this is one that I can put on anytime and man, it really might be my favorite match of all time. There's just it's got everything. It's an amazing match. I can't wait to talk more about it. Yeah, and Miss Van and I have told you over and over and over again, we like the ongoingness of a thing. And so I what I realized, Bobby Heenan, if I if I told someone Bobby Heenan gives an MVP performance in the Royal Rumble, and you start the footage at the Royal Rumble, then you already have lost part of why he gives an MVP performance. Mm-hmm. His first statement when the show starts, I'm still banking everything on Ric Flair coming off as world champion. And that is a double entendre in a way because he is still saying Ric Flair is going to win this, but we're also going to find out as the, as the night unfolds that he has this idea in his head that he is about to be wealthy beyond any means. He can leave everything behind. He can do everything that he's ever wanted to do. And it's all like, it's all, he's hitched his wagon to Ric Flair. And so this is a night, whether it's Roddy Piper trying to make history, the Ric Flair, Bobby Heenan thing, Hulk Hogan winning the last two. This is a night that is ongoing and you have to watch the whole thing and you have to understand urgency and mood and tone and gesture in order to understand just how good this thing is. Absolutely. He says he is indeed banking everything. And man, he, that is true in every sense of the word, not just his bank account. I think he's banking his life on this because if Flair went out, I think Heenan might have killed over right there. He was yeah. so invested in this. Uh, Bobby Heenan functioning as a horcrux of sorts for mm. Ric Flair in this match. Beautiful. Beautiful, man. Uh, and this is a time where they treat the product, of course, like it's authentic, like it's a real uh, sporting event happening. So can you imagine coming in and saying you're the real world's champion, Bobby Heenan bringing you in? And let's say Ric Flair comes in third and he goes out fifth. 
Oof. Like, what in the world do you do? Like, that, there's a shame. Ric Flair will leave the company, and Bobby Heenan will be the one that will live with that the rest of his career. <laughs> if if Ric Flair come out there and got out fifth, I think Bobby Heenan would have had to walk off of commentary and maybe mm. never return because yeah. uh, <laughs> you, you, everything, you just put everything down on this. This is the night of... Fair to flare, you will hear it again and again. That beautiful catchphrase. He will he will preach his sermon from the commentary table. He will tell you what is fair to flare. He will rise. He will fall. He will take you on that emotional journey. And man, if it had crashed like that, you know, that, he wouldn't have even been mad. I think that's sort of an it. Like he just would have shut down. Uh, he just put everything into this. And that's so well said because you're going to see times where uh, Haku and uh, who else is from Heenan's um, Hercules, maybe. Sure, Barbarian. Guys were, yeah, all these yeah, guys. Barbarian. Guys that were in that family uh, go after Flair or they're in there. And even when Heenan talks about them, he'll reference history. But compared to where he is emotionally with Flair, all of that stuff, masterful though it does, seems so far away. Like, there is something different about what's on the line right now. Yeah, it's everything. It's, it's the fact that Bobby Heenan <clears throat> never managed that world champion in the WWF, came so close, it was, was taken away, and he's got to know this is his last chance to be associated with the world champion. It's it's the, the wealth that you talked about, the fact that he is, he is literally banking on this to his bank account, just and I feel like there's a soul connection between him and Ric Flair. These guys think alike, they talk alike, they make a lot of the same claims. They got the same hair practically. Mm. It's like they were made for each other. Could have come out of the same family. Did come from the same place, both out of uh, Minneapolis, I believe. So uh, these guys, man, if Bobby Heenan ever was going to live vicariously through somebody to be world champion. He, he's never had a better opportunity in the WWF. So everything, like his soul, feels like it's riding on this match. This is why we do the show, folks. I have never had that thought until right before you had that, or you started saying that. I thought, it might just be the hair and nothing else. <laughs> you know. But that that by itself is fair enough because, my God, I love Andre the Giant, and I love the Bobby Heenan-Andre the Giant relationship, but let us never forget that before it became that relationship, we know why they joined up. It was not for each other. It was so Bobby Heenan could needle Hulk Hogan in the biggest way ever. So that started, it became something beautiful, but it started as something else. All we know of this thing is that Bobby Heenan, it seems, has silently been championing championing someone who's not even in the WWF. That's sin by itself. We didn't even realize that people within this world knew another wrestling world existed. Mm. And now you're trotting this man on and calling him the real world's champion. And like you said, they come from the same place. They got the same hair. They got the same connection. They got the same vibe and style. So this is a chance for Bobby Heenan to win in more ways than one. And I think even beyond that, it is almost a sweeter revenge in that when was Bobby Heenan last a threat to Hulk Hogan? Mm. 
Hulk Hogan conquered this man. And he was relegated to other things. Like that story was told, the door was shut, and it was locked. And here Hulk Hogan is, two or three years into burning goodwill. Maybe so confident that nobody else is there that he can do it, and so weak that he's vulnerable. And here comes Bobby Heenan. This is the Bobby Heenan way again. This is the Ric Flair way. That They're not going to come up to you this time and make a challenge. They're coming out of left field. They're coming the way they do it, not the way Hulk Hogan does it. And we're finally in a world where Hulk Hogan is weak enough that you do not have to come at him the way he dictates anymore. Yeah, well said. I was waiting till now to come in and strike that blow against Hulkamania. And man, you, you can say what you like. Hulkamania may be immortal to some, but um, after tonight, uh, we're going to find out Hulk Hogan doesn't have that many Hulkamaniacs in this building, and we are going to find out after WrestleMania 8 that uh, Hulk Hogan is not even around anymore, and then he'll come back, and we, we've talked about the poor presentation of what we will see after that. So yeah, Bobby Heenan, is he here with Ric Flair actually killing Hulkamania, even if just temporarily? I don't know, but I certainly like to think so. Yeah, we will live in a world where Ric Flair and Bobby Heenan represent WWF and Hulk Hogan no longer does. Mm. That by itself is staggering. (laughs) I love it. Okay, folks, you know what it is. If you're watching this, you already know. You had to have seen it. If not, watch it. If so, watch it. Uh, Royal Rumble, we kick off. We got uh, the Orient Express taking on the new foundation of Owen Hart and Jim Neidhart. So um, it strikes me as funny that in two years, Owen Hart will make the claim that he was forced to wear a mask because Bret Hart did not want the competition. Bret Hart did not want another Hart to get any shine. And I'm not saying that's true. But I'm just saying that it's interesting that as long as Bret Hart was a tag wrestler or a singles wrestler that wasn't getting anywhere, Owen Hart had to wear a mask. He finally goes up one notch and becomes an IC champion. And now Owen doesn't have to wear the mask, but he can be put in a gimmick that maybe more so than the mask um, assures that he can't go but so far. So I'm not saying that all that was Bret Hart related. I'm just saying that's how it happened in history. Uh, I will add one more to that. Uh, where is Bret Hart on this show, Mystic? Oh, Bret Hart has a 175 degree temperature uh, <laughs> that um, that came from a matchup with the Mountie. So I guess he just can't be around right now. Indeed. Isn't it interesting? On uh, one of the only nights that Bret Hart is not around, that's the first time on pay-per-view that Ooh. we see Owen Hart. That's how he was able to sneak on the card, perhaps. Do you know that Gorilla Monsoon... Spins. I even made a case somewhere that we know that Hulk Hogan is not the golden goose anymore because in some ways, I'm going to argue at the end of the night that Vince McMahon may have in some ways laid him out to dry. Um, but Bret Hart is getting the Hulk Hogan treatment in that you can't even lose a match without having an unrealistic temperature that we talk about all night. <laughs> but with one comment, Ms. Zen, you might have just convinced me he really did have that fever. <laughs> if you were here, you would have pushed Owen off the show. <laughs> yeah, how many times did Owen go to him over the couch and be like, can, is, can you tell who it is? And he didn't know who it was. So if I go out the door, you won't know that I'm there? 
Oh, man. Owen Hart sneaked one on Bret the Hitman Hart while he had this fever. And I, I guess I now want to apologize to Bret Hart because I did not think you had this fever. But by God, you must have because <laughs> Owen Hart is here and you're going to pay for this in a couple of years. Indeed, that fever will uh, will come back to haunt him because Owen Hart is here as himself. As you say, he's in this uh, new foundation where he's sort of just a stand-in for uh, what Bret Hart used to do. And uh, that may be limiting in some ways, but you know what? You know what? I'm going to say a little heresy here for all those Hart Foundation fans out there. I think I like this version of the tag team better. Uh, the original Hart Foundation, obviously they had about a million more chances to make an impression. So, sure, you know, they, they got their good matches here and there, but man... Just in watching the short run of the new foundation, um, they're more fun to watch, I think. And it's it's just Owen. It's not Nightheart doing anything different, that's for sure. But, man, Owen Hart, like, for where he is at his level of career compared to where Bret Hart was when he's on the same level, Owen is just more fun. He's more of a natural He's more charismatic in some ways. Everyone knows I'm a big Owen Hart fan, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this a lot. I think Owen Hart was actually a better partner for Jim Neidhart than Brett was. Nice, very well said. I don't I don't want to be disrespectful, but I probably could say, hey, I wasn't really impressed with the new foundation, but they're better than the Hart Foundation. So <laughs> you know, cause I'm just the Hart Foundation didn't do it for me, and. I think the one thing Bret Hart never promised anybody was fun. I think we can uh, <laughs> all agree on that. He is. It's, it's, it's ironic that he will feud with Bob Backlund, and Bob Backlund becomes Mr. Backlund. Because Bret Hart, in 97, kind of does a Mr. Backlund, too. So, you know. <laughs> so when is he not I just Mr. Bret, yeah, you know? <laughs> Owen's way more fun. Owen's way more fast. I think Bret Hart, of course, I would say he's better at this time. I think Owen Hart is... A rookie in a way. He's been around, but like, I think Bret Hart could do, I think Bret Hart has a greater diverse set of tools. Do you agree or disagree with that? I don't know if I do. It's hard to tell with Owen Hart. I feel like he often tempered himself to kind of the role that he was asked to play, but I mean, you can watch him in Japan, you can watch him in the UK doing things before this, and man, he is scintillating at times. Yeah. So, I don't know. Certainly, the performance he puts forth here compared to, like, Brett and Mr. Perfect back at SummerSlam or something, you'd have to say, well, okay, yeah, Brett seems to be peaking higher, but I don't know. I, is is that because Brett is just better, or is it because Owen is, like, this ultimate good-natured um, guy who will, like, kind of play the role that he's meant to be in? Uh, whatever that will be. I don't know. I, I'm not going to say one way or the other. I'll just say go go and check out some of Owen Hart's more <laughs> under-the-radar work and decide for yourself earlier in his career if maybe he could have stood up to Bret Hart if he had that mentality uh, instead of kind of the, the good-natured, laid-back person that he was. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that, too, as well. The reasons that Bret Hart becomes a world champion in a lot of ways you can be the biggest Bret Hart fan in the world, and you can say, well, he ran with the ball. He had a massive international appeal. So, cool. That's all That's all good. But he did become world champion as a um, default to get away from allegations of steroids and um, 
I think in a lot of ways he stayed world champion because he was one of the only people who understood uh, what it meant to be a WWF champion because he grew up in that kind of family. And it means it has, what, 50% maybe to do with what you do in the ring. But, you know, you have to be obsessed with it. You have to live it. You have to communicate with fans, radio. Uh, when that Lex Luger doc drops, I think Bret Hart's on there saying that Luger didn't like being around fans. You know, Owen Hart was more like Lex Luger. Owen Hart understood the business better than Luger. But he was another guy like, I'm a family man, and this is my job. And Luger is, I am, I guess, self-obsessed, and this is my job. Bret Hart, this is my life. Mm. So I want to see as the series goes on, how much does Bret Hart deserve to be champion uh, beyond the business side? Because if I, if it was my money, I might have made Bret champion too because he's faithful and I can depend on him when I can't. I've been burned by Hulk Hogan. He broke my heart and I and while I was going on trial. Um, he has that, again, that massive, you take away that massive international appeal and I don't know we get if we get five title rings, but Bret Hart has a lot to prove to me. Um, I was a Bret Hart fan, and sometimes I was also very anti-Bret at other times. Aside from really cool roll-ups, I want to see him really um, feel like a world champion, carry world title matches and feuds in ways that nobody else in the company can do because that's what it means to be champion. I think he'll do it at least comparatively. He's going to be in an era against Diesel and Yoko and all these guys. I think he'll do it. I'll be shocked if he doesn't, but he does have things to prove to me. Uh, we're going to see uh, the highs and lows of Bret Hart, I think, as, as company interest in him uh, waxes and wanes. He will sometimes be very interesting and sometimes not, I think. Um, he's coming up on that uh, Roddy Piper feud. I'm very excited to talk about that. So he's got some good things on the uh, very near horizon. Yeah, that's one of his big ones. I think that's almost his coming out, like Roddy Piper putting you over and he loves Bret Hart my god his only goal as we will see is to put Bret Hart over so we're coming up this is the year that Bret Hart becomes a world champion and as we said it's the year that Owen Hart just like shows his face in a way yep yep I mean uh quite literally shows his face we never saw his face on uh on one show that we covered before I think it's been all blue blazers so yeah um I'll say about this match, uh, I, I really enjoyed this match, actually. Uh, it's a lot of Owen for me, but it's also Orient Express. You know, we, we saw him take the Rockers on the year before in a widely praised match, and deservedly so. And I thought, once again, they actually delivered really well here. It's a very fun match, I think, to open up the show. Yeah, this is why we'll never know how Owen compares to Brett, because I feel like this tag team should not exist, and we should be having Owen Hart versus Tanaka to kick off the show. <laughs> I'd be glad to see it. It'd be fun, you know. Eventually, and not not too long, I think, it'll be high energy instead, and I'm excited to talk about that yeah. a little bit. That, that'll that be fun. I like that as a kid. It's funny. I didn't know much about the Heart. I don't know if I knew the Heart Foundation or not, but I, the new foundation didn't pop for me as a kid. Mm-hmm. But the minute they were high energy, like I felt that name and that gimmick and that idea. Like I felt that immediately, so... That registered differently to me than this one did, when, and I was just starting to watch wrestling. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I've, I've talked many times about my fan of Coco Beware. Everyone should know I'm also a big Owen Hart fan, as I just said. So, yeah, that's a great tag team that probably could have done a whole lot more, actually, than they did. So we'll, we'll give them some shine, for sure. 
One thing I don't think I've ever said before is Owen Hart has one of the best belly-to-belly suplexes in the business. Yeah, yeah, not the overhead, but kind of the, like, like turn you around and throw you down kind. Yeah, very good. Yeah, he's got a guy coming off the ropes and then, like, in full speed throws him over, and it's just a lovely affair. Like, I do think that the only th- – and I've said this my whole life, but I think the thing Owen doesn't have, you know, that Brett does have is that obsession for the business. Mm. Um, I think if he had that – it wouldn't be a conversation about who's better, you know. I think it would be embarrassingly so. If Owen Hart's whole life was pro wrestling, and he's just good right here, like what would he be? Mm, yeah, yeah. I, it, it's a great question for sure. Um, but I, I do wonder if Owen Hart adopts that Bret Hart mentality, is he still as much fun as he mm. is? I don't know. Owen Hart. Um, seemed to be a shockingly well-adjusted person considering the family he came from. Um, so I don't know. There is something just fun about him and he will carry that into his heel roles and he will have character moments and commitments and, uh, just, just ways of expressing himself that certainly no other heart that I have seen has ever been capable of. So how much of that is in his mentality? I don't know. I'm very grateful for the Owen Hart that we got. But as you say, you have to wonder if he thought a different way, what would be different? He was in the main event for, you know, a cup of coffee in 1994. Sure. And he became, he was so iconic. To me, he paved the way for the edge heel, the Christian heel, like Mm -hmm. every heel that's like that, to me, comes from that family, like comes from what the king of hearts. I think maybe he did it better. Like more naturally, like he is way before his time and like almost without effort, like just the winning the King of the Ring after Bret Hart winning that slammy and like taking it around like it's everything. Um, <laughs> like it's a, it's amazing. I think his legacy. I think people could do a better job connecting the dots on his legacy. I I hope that we will be able to do that. And I'll just say uh, I don't know if Owen invented that kind of gimmick but certainly he is a wonderful example of it and i'll i'll take him over edge or christian and i i really like you know christian in particular i know you do as well but man owen hart that's some elite level stuff right there like this guy whoo we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of fun talking about owen hart over the next few years yeah i'm just trying to think though like in the wwf in the world title picture who is that heel before owen hart in the in the time we've covered yeah, maybe maybe nobody. It's a good point. I was thinking uh, maybe of Andy Kaufman more than anyone because yeah. he is also a guy who would like take his fake accomplishments or his dumb yes. accomplishments and sort of lord them over everyone. So I think there is maybe uh, a piece of that in there. But yeah, I think maybe you're right. In the WWF, I don't know if anyone uh, ever did this exactly the way Owen Hart is really going to own it. Yeah, he definitely did not create it, but in the world of the WWF at that level. Yeah. And I've yeah. never thought about that till now because it will be like it or not. And people are going to knock the click a lot for like Sean wrestling o- or Sean wrestling Scott and diesel. But when I watched that, it was like, he was just an extension of Bret Hart's title ring. Mm. Cause like Nightheart's going to come back. Bulldog's going to come back. And it's all centered on Bret Hart. But now all these years later, when I think about Owen Hart, just for Owen Hart, it's ridiculous, like, what he was doing. And I think maybe when you learn about his personality, it's just an extension of that. But, like, 
I guess Jerry Lawler is there at that time. Jerry Lawler is a, another heel that's kind of like that. But man, he is—he's that heel that you just want to punch in the face. He's that—he's that MJF heel. He's all of these guys, mm. and yet we were never set up for it. It's just gonna come upon us. Yeah. Man, Owen Hart, my God. He—he's right here. I said Owen Hart is on the come up to the come up. Like we got—we got Undertaker, Brett, Sean on the come up. You know, right behind them is Owen Hart here. Like Jim Neidhart, I don't know how he feels you know, being in, in the new foundation, but, but Owen Hart's on the move. Jim Neidhart, I assume, is just grateful to be working, uh, as usual. Um, <laughs> That's fair. Whew. Well, yep, thank God that Owen uh, snuck by Brett on the couch while he was delirious, so we can all be <laughs> grateful for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Owen, I feel like he's the star in this, you know, like, he's looking amazing. Um, what is it? He takes a bump out onto Fuji's cane at one yeah. point. I think he broke the damn cane with his face. Like, that was that was a nutty bump right there. Yeah, they locked the cane up on the turnbuckle and the ropes, and then they threw him full speed into the turnbuckle, and it, it cracked the cane. Yeah, so Owen definitely uh, giving it his all in here. He can never say he didn't do that. Um, he also does uh, Nightheart, like, throws him out. He does a, a tope, so, that you know, that's a good use of Jim Nightheart. It's about what he's good for. It is. And it's also the fact that that Irish whip kind of into the suicide dive thing for me. Like, one of the credits I was going to give Bret Hart is, like, he does that in cool places. But I didn't realize Owen Hart was doing it in 1992. <laughs> so, one more Absolutely. one more thing to wonder about. Yeah. We, we love Owen Hart on the Legacy Series, so yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun for, for a while here. <laughs> yeah, so Brett, Brett's got that 104 temperature. Um, Owen Hart is here. This is a matchup that goes on for a while. I feel like it has its stronger points, and those are a lot of times Owen and Tanaka related, but it is a good match. Yeah, I, I think it's a very good match. I hope that uh, everyone will take some time to check it out and kind of see for yourself what Owen Hart can do on his uh, kind of introduction as himself. Yeah, the rocket launcher finish will get the win. Uh, the new foundation will get the victory in this matchup. Oh, yes. Very nice. That rocket launcher. Somebody else. Is that a... I don't know. I can't place it right now. But uh, there's some good rocket launchers out there. And they do a really good one. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we're going to go on to the beautiful Lord Alfred Hayes, uh, who <laughs> is showing us footage from that infamous matchup where the Mountie, ladies and gentlemen, at a house show in Springfield has defeated Brett the Hitman Hart, who was running 103-degree temperature on that night. Uh, Roddy Piper comes out because of the um, shenanigans after the matchup, and we have moved quickly into a matchup that's going to happen at the Royal Rumble. The Mountie defends the IC title against Roddy Piper. Mm. I'll just say, if you have 103-degree temperature, don't go to work, you know, <laughs> like this yeah. is the insanity of wrestlers. We'll just be like, well, I'm dying, but here we go. The show must go on, you know, so that that's kind of nuts in and of itself. But, um, you know, to your point or possibly against your point, I don't know the point you're going to make exactly, but man, Bret Hart, I think if he wasn't about dying on the couch, about just lying there delirious, I think there's no way this, this whole situation would have gone down quite the way it did. Yeah, I think probably even in real life they had probably had to sell him a few times on what it would mean to beat 
Roddy Piper because the hitman character, by God, would not just sit home and let all that, and let all this injustice, you know, <laughs> go on. That's why I mean about him getting the Hogan treatment because not only for like an hour we get this, we get the 103 degree temperature all night long, and then they answer your why you go to work with a fever because Bret Hart knew that people spend their hard-earned money to come to wrestling shows, and he could not not come out and let them be disappointed when their hard-earned money was being spent. Oh, yeah, that's very uh, Hogan-esque. That's a good point. Like, they're really protecting Bret Hart here. Yeah. You know, it, it would have been easy for them to just be like, oh, Bret Hart, that wuss being yeah. <laughs> sick, you know, let's, let's never talk about him again. But, yeah, no, he gets the protection for sure. Just say up front, ladies and gentlemen, the Mountie is inferior, and he in no other way would have beat Bret Hart. So, you know, <laughs> if that's what you need to hear. You know, instead of an hour of this runaround, just assure us that he's better than the Mountie. <laughs> I was, I'm glad the Mountie got to win this title, even if it's just for a minute. I've really enjoyed the Mountie. I think he deserved it. Yeah, you want to talk about heroic, too. When your gimmick is the Mountie and you lost to the boss man and you went to jail, one would think that might be the end of your run, but here he is in early 92 securing the Intercontinental title. Indeed. And how many times over history do we see a guy who, if they're going to job, you know it. Like, you can see it on their face, you see it in their attitude and the way they act. You would never know that from watching Jacques in his promo and yeah. his match. And he is giving 110% as always, so I always give huge credit for that would have been real easy for him to be sour about this but no he he had a great showing yeah, jimmy hart is mocking bret hart uh mountie is provoking roddy piper you really get the feeling that the mountie has found his uh his second spring and that he is about to be a long-term champion if you watch it from the eyes of the mountie on this show <laughs> he really convinces you that that's the story in his head and he, he makes you think maybe it could have been true so i gotta give credit for sure yeah, Roddy Piper will follow up. That was Sean Mooney uh, with the Mountie, and then Gorilla, uh, Dean Oakland will be with Piper, and Piper will take that antagonistic language and turn it back on the Mountie. I would definitely have thought that Roddy Piper would beat the Mountie, but he's so not associated with the IC title, I would wonder if this was going to be a screw job. Sure, yeah, non-finish would not be um, surprising at all in a scenario like this, in a time like this. So it's very fun because you got Jacques saying, Roddy Piper, oh, what's his win-loss record? Why does he get a title mm -hmm. shot? And that's a very valid question that only a doomed man would ask. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well said. Yeah. I think they also, like, Jack Tunney's all over the place making these rulings. So, like, yeah. <laughs> like, why can't you answer for why he is getting the shot? All he did was come down to ringside. He's been an announcer for, like, a year. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very true. He's barely been in the ring, so, uh, yes, um, we get that Piper promo. It's a fun promo. It's wild. It's kind of all over the place, as Piper promos are, but, um, yeah, no, he's very fired up as well here. Yeah, he also gets a big ovation in New York uh, mm -hmm, yeah. as he makes his way out. I think Before this, don't we have another Alfred Hayes backstage? I don't think so. No? Oh, I did. I, w I wonder. Um... Who's it with? Uh, I saw Alfred Hayes talking to uh, Hulk Hogan backstage, and Hogan uh, pretty much tells us, oh, well, brother, tonight I'm not going to have any friends. And uh, yeah. he says, anyone who gets in the ring with me, 
uh, is not my friend, including the fans. He actually includes the fans in this promo. So I guess if you were a Hulkamaniac and you got in the ring to, like, congratulate him, he'd probably kill you tonight. So good to know where you stand on that ladder. This is part of the reason, though, why I partly wonder, like, what was the objective tonight? Because Hulk Hogan will do two interviews where the one thing he makes clear is that if you're in the Royal Rumble, there are no friends and anything goes. Mm, yeah. I don't understand. Like, it's not for nothing that that is the point that he's being had to make. And then the only thing that, that ties in with that is Sid throws them over the top rope. Then he gets upset about it. I don't understand <laughs> what they're going. What, what is the objective throughout the night? If you are if you are booking Hulk Hogan tonight and you book this, like what is the agenda? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly the mystery, the biggest mystery to me of this is I'm not surprised at Hogan's rhetoric because Hogan's been saying stuff like this anyway. This is just Hogan at this point. He just sort of phones it in. Everyone's my enemy. You know, he's been rehashing this for a while. But the the fact that he screws over Sid here is so strange. It's not. You know, we, we've talked a lot about how Hogan, he's a poor sport, you know, he'll cheat, he'll do all these things, he's a bad friend, all this stuff. But something as overt as this really wouldn't be very common in his history. And we've watched a lot of his history, so it is very strange. It is hard for me to imagine this is something Hogan did not sign off on just because he is Hogan. And I don't think he would have done it if he didn't want to do it. But it's very bizarre i'll definitely just say that i don't think anybody can argue that it's also a weak and awkward visual because what baby face it's not he doesn't even jump up in a rage and pull him over the top he grabs his arm and just holds it for like 15 seconds and then flair the first time he tries to throw that leg out it messes it up so then it lasts even longer and <laughs> it's not it's not a it's not it's not a visual of a hero i'll put it that way all I can think of is this is a Hulk Hogan who, through his entire run here since 1984, 83, you know, earlier, even if you go back to AWA, basically could do no wrong. He could do anything and he would still be, you know, beloved. This is a guy who said Andre was his best friend and his mentor and about... Ten seconds later, he said, oh, that stinky giant, you know, I'll kill him. We were never friends. Everyone just took it, took it, went along with it. This is a guy who abandoned his partner so he could sit backstage and make crying faces over his partner's wife. And, <laughs> and everybody just loved him for it. So, you know, this is a Hulk Hogan who basically, I think, thought he could do anything and still be cheered, and it wouldn't matter, and not recognizing that he has burned through that goodwill, and finally it gave out tonight. That's all I can think of. That's not a bad retort. That's not a bad retort. (laughs) All right, so yes, we do uh, get to our match here, Roddy Piper versus the Mountie Jacques Rougeau. Um, this match, it's, it's not too long. It's not too competitive. Piper stays ahead of the game. He wins, I would say, pretty easily in the end. Uh, I still found this enjoyable um, just because of the way it was framed. It seemed very crowd-pleasing. It, it seemed to kind of play to everyone's strengths. Piper doesn't like selling. 
Uh, Jacques is very good at selling and kind of, uh, you know, being the heel and bumping and stooging and doing all these things. So, you know, it's not a classic or anything, but I enjoyed this match for what it was. Yeah, it's about what you probably think it is at home if you watch these guys. Um, like most of the night, my preference might have been the announce booth. Uh, <laughs> I got a lot of things. I got some questions for you. Number one, what is the relationship between uh, Bobby Heenan and Gorilla? I feel like I've wanted to ask this question for a long time. Here's a Gorilla quote. As long as you're sitting next to me, you don't have any rights. <laughs> oh, that's a great line. There's so many great lines. Like, this is really their finest night together. And you were so right earlier, giving praise to Gorilla Monsoon, because I think you put him out here with Vince or somebody else, it's not the same. You don't get the same experience tonight if it's not Monsoon and Heenan. It's really just a wonderful hour for them. As far as their relationship... Man, having watched about all the prime time that there is to watch and all there's so much weekly commentary together, like, you know, these guys love each other. And I think it bothers them that they love each other. So they have to give each other a hard time because they have such opposing views. They have to give each other crap pretty much every second of the day. But, man, these two recovered from the, the, the Brooklyn Brawler thing on primetime. They recovered from everything. They went to every location. They talked about every wrestler. They never agreed one time. If they did ever agree, they actually got worried about it. And yet, they can't quit each other. They love each other. Man, it's a beautiful relationship. It's dysfunctional, but it's beautiful. Yeah, I like that. It feels like... Gorilla's like the guardian. Like he signed for Bobby to be there, especially with how the Bobby's career ends in the WWF. Because he's always getting mad. He's always threatening him with like, you know, I could get rid of you, or you know, and he actually will. So it's an interesting relationship. Bobby Heenan is gold again here, and like I said, you can't start at the Royal Rumble. Number one, first he calls out Gorilla, then he calls out that stupid temperature thing. So the first one, Bobby Heenan calls out Gorilla Monsoon uh, for saying that Jimmy Hart interfered in the match. When he hadn't done anything, and Grandma Soon says, he's got the megaphone um, antagonizing everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, That's he enough. Yep, your yeah. crime is uh, is bad enough to be executed by babyface law. Uh, Bobby Heenan starts a narrative about how, once he had 113 degree temperature. And Gorilla Monsoon gets very angry because we're taking this temperature of Bret Hart thing very seriously. And then he's like, what will Piper's excuse be when he loses a 300-degree temperature? <laughs> <laughs> I love Bobby Heenan for destroying all that babyface uh, privilege in, the, in these stupid narratives. He's beautiful on this show. This, this, this match, oh, um, was it? Monsoon. What a poor representative the man he is for the Intercontinental title. Heenan, well, you want to be represented by a guy in a skirt? Monsoon, oh, he's got more integrity in his little finger than the Mountie does in his whole body. Bobby Heenan, sure, he's got more pleats in his skirt, too. <laughs> oh, God, so good. They defend, they stand by their people. They do, they really do. A lot of loyalty going on there. I like how serious Gorilla plays everything, too, because, like, you know he's not. Like, he, he loves Bobby Heenan. He probably loves half the things Bobby Heenan says. They set, they set each other up all the time. But he comes off as this very, like, it is this way and it's only this way. So Bobby Heenan can weasel all around him. Like, they just know how to be for each other. <laughs> they know how to needle each other, and they also know how to um, stay friends through it all. It's a wonderful relationship. Yeah. Folks, beyond that, Roddy Piper 
is going to become that intercontinental champion. Like that's that's a big deal, I think, in Piper's history with the WWF to secure this championship. It is, yeah. I think Piper never held a title before this time, and um, he wasn't necessarily like the title holding type of wrestler. Like he never really needed to be. Uh, and yet, I, I think it is a cool moment. I think it was well-deserved. Roddy Piper, certainly one of the towering names of this whole era. And this is another thing where it's kind of like the last uh, bastion of this whole era. This is just one more kind of um, final moment that Piper gets. Because, yeah, after WrestleMania, he'll be he'll be gone as well. Yeah. He never quite feels comfortable with the belt, and I like that because yeah. he doesn't just transition like, oh, this is why I want it all along. It's almost like, I'm really proud of the moment, but I don't, what I do with this belt that I carry, I have to carry it around now. You know, it's not Piper, but at the same time, if Piper's going to be a transitional champion, I don't think there's anything better than this. A babyface versus babyface, someone he loves, a family he loves, and the opportunity to big time, big time put somebody over, which is what he's going to do. Right, Piper's such an interesting one. We've talked about him a lot, and yet maybe not enough even yet, because Later on in the show, he will reference being that 15-year-old kid who who came out and like gave flowers to the audience and uh, you know the 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 strangeness of the start of his career. And man, I don't know if he ever stopped being that 15-year-old kid in a lot of ways. I, I think that's that figure is in his mind a lot, and I think it drives like his over-the-topness, his confidence, maybe his insecurity. Um, there's a lot that goes into Roddy Piper. We could probably spend a whole show trying to psychoanalyze this guy, but man, just something about Piper, as weird as he is, as wild as he is, as incoherent as he sometimes is, he can be just so compelling. I felt he was very magnetic on this show. Yeah, his good, his bad, his ugly mm. is all wrapped up in the same place, and I think it's true for a lot of us. It just means yeah. he's a little more honest, I think, and on the surface, because, like, you live a long life, like my God, you can live a hundred years, and I don't know if you get away from yourself. I don't know if you get away from the inciting incident. I don't know if you get away from the wound. I don't know if you get away from whatever launches you, whatever identifies you as you. Um, you write essays about it. You you fight. You build new relationships. You start a family. You refresh yourself. But there's a part of you that's not going away, and I think you can manage and negotiate it and maybe build a nice room for it, or you can let it run wild on you. But Roddy Piper wears it externally for all of us to see. And like I said, it's good, it's bad, and it's ugly. And it's Roddy Piper. Yeah, no kidding. The good, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of bad, there's a lot of ugly, and uh, it pours out of him all the time. So, whew, that's Roddy Piper. You can't beat that insecurity because there's something real there. As we're going to transition to the Bushwhackers, there's something real there. Um, my God, I watched the inter I watched the interview with Gene Oakland and the entrances, and then I was done. So, yes, the, the next match is um, the Bushwhackers. They're taking on uh, the debuting Beverly Brothers. Um, and uh, it's it's a poor it's a shame for the Beverly Brothers. This is a team that I actually enjoy, but uh, there is nothing to enjoy about this. Um, Jameson, uh, the weird little guy of primetime 
fame, if you know anything about that, uh, you know who I'm talking about, is managing them for reasons which are unclear. Uh, I have no comments on the match. It's horrible. Don't watch it. Uh, I do have some quotes from commentary that I will share with you since you skipped it and did not get a chance to watch it. <clears throat> Absolutely. I When they started, they, they licked people from the mouth, the nose, and the eyes are all on the table for the children. I, I couldn't get past that. Like, I don't understand that even for, like, not today. Uh, and then, like, they, they talk about, it, like, oh, that kid's going to remember that for the rest of his life. Yes, trauma studies, you know. <laughs> I'm just not. I'm just not with this. I don't understand it, and so I quit after the entrances. Well, you were wise to do so, and I recommend that everyone do the same. Um, uh, Bobby Heenan shares some good advice. He said, "Don't touch the Bushwhackers' children. You don't know where they've been." Mm. Which goes to your point, because unfortunately, the Bushwhackers will touch you, and uh, <laughs> they will do it in a very uncomfortable way. So, sorry, children, but um, you have no choice, apparently. Yeah. Oh, Question. My. Yes. Would you rather go to Pity City or be licked across the face by the Bushwhackers? Bushwhackers, all the <laughs> way. <laughs> I don't know why. That's an easy choice for me, though, because, uh, man, yeah. there's hardly, you know, I guess, like, Bash and Booger exists, but, like, beyond that, there's not much more disgusting to me than Pity City. And, man, if I ever had any inclination to uh, try to give the Nasty Boys a break, I just had to think about that as very easy for me to move on with my life. I hate that that's a question that we can ask. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know how much Bastion Booger we're going to see, but man, I was shocked when I finally really saw that for myself yeah. and just how, like, what is it with these disgusting gimmicks, like intentionally disgusting? Like, what's the appeal? I don't understand that at all. I don't know. Even the Nasty Boys, though, it's weird to me the Nasty Boys are heels because they're Nasty Boys and the Bushwhackers are baby faces because they're Nasty Boys. Those two teams will wrestle each other many times. I don't know if it's on pay-per-view or not, but... um, uh, I think Bastion Booger is just Vince McMahon thinks you're gross because you don't look like you ought to look. (laughs) Bastion Booger is Vince's only entertainment in uh, the the trying time of the steroid trial. So, (laughs) God. I don't remember much about him. I obviously saw him because I watched during that time as a child, but like I've never, I don't think I've ever since revisited Bastion Booger. So that's all. No reason to do so. Yes. Hopefully we will avoid him as much as possible. Uh, Um, Bobby and shares with us, Oh, do you know why Jameson's parents never got divorced? It's because nobody wanted to take custody of him. Yes. That's just facts. Oh, Gorilla Matsu tells Jameson, oh, don't worry, Jameson, words can't hurt you. But, I mean, he says, that's true. What bad thing could you say to him that hasn't already been said? <laughs> yes. That's amazing. All right, one more. We'll move on from this travesty. Uh, the genius is managing the Beverlies, and uh, Gorilla Matsu says, oh, the genius just slapped Jameson. What a despicable act. Bobby Sian says, I know, it's disgusting to touch Jameson at all. <laughs> Oh, man, I would, I would argue the same for Genius, but, you know, <laughs> here we go. All right, moving right Even that, along. Like, Genius wrestled Hulk Hogan, so I'm not I'm not a Genius fan personally, but Genius wrestled Hulk Hogan, and now we got Genius and Jameson, like, as, as competitors against one another. I'll say the Genius is a lot easier to take now that he's a yeah. lot less um, 
you know, he's not out there trying to act gay like yeah. before, like trying to be an evil gay, which is one of the most cringeworthy, terrible gimmicks ever. He, he's kind of slid more into just like, oh, I'm a pompous intellectual, um, you know, which which is a, a better fit, I think. Um, so I don't mind the genius so much. I kind of like Lanny Poffo. Uh, certainly we saw him at his worst, I think, in that uh, Hulk Hogan encounter. Yeah. Which seems a long time ago from now, you know? It really does, yeah. Not just because we took a break. It feels like it was in a different era, for sure. Okay, so next up, is it... Well, who wins this great matchup, is if I need to ask? I did not write it down. Oh, it was good, probably the Bushwhackers, because, like, they get that Hulk Hogan push. So, I don't know. Give me... I'm, I'm just very excited to see the Beverly's in a different match, because I, I actually enjoy them a lot. Yeah. We followed it up with another tag match, and this time the tag titles are on the line. Uh, it is the Natural Disasters going against the Legion of Doom. Yeah, and um, this match, I mean, it's the Natural Disasters, so it's only going to go so far. Um, I thought it was decent. You know, it's basically size versus power. Like, what can the Road Warriors do to this team of, like, massive, uh, you know, round rolling men um so you know it's not bad i i thought it was not bad one thing i liked it lod had to show their speed a little bit but it was animal instead of hulk i think they kind of did that like he was running the ropes a lot getting momentum and i'm used to that from hulk but seeing animal do that was a little bit different for me yeah yeah absolutely a bit of a different style here so you may see something a little different from the road warriors i'll say this like I don't know, there probably aren't a lot of Road Warrior, like, five-star classic matches out there in the traditional sense, but I, I balk at this idea that Road Warrior matches are not good or not entertaining, because, I mean, to each their own, I guess, but man, if you can't get any enjoyment out of these, like, superhumanly strong dudes going in there and roughing dudes up, then, like, I don't know, like, you're watching wrestling, I think, in a different way than I am. I really enjoy watching the Road Warriors, yeah, it's it's just maybe you got a bias or you haven't really watched it, but it's it's like we moved on from the power guys because there's all different other ways to do wrestling and people just don't understand. But like the reverse of that is, can you not understand the appeal of this? Mm, yeah, because it's 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 in its own thing. It's unlike anything. Like I have never been. I never disliked the Road Warriors, but I've never personally been like, oh, I'm a Road Warriors guy. But like when they're out there, I'm paying attention to what they're doing. Uh. I believe what they're doing. I I a little bit fear what they're doing. Uh, Bobby Heenan rightly says that he's been told that when you run into Animal and Hulk, it's like they ran into you. <laughs> That's what you need to understand. And if I'm watching LOD and the Natural Disasters with respect to Earthquake and Typhoon and their size... I feel sorry for the natural disasters. Yeah, yeah. So, animal uh, fake can't slam earthquake, and earthquake's <laughs> gonna land on him. And so, in order to do that, he picks him up and just holds him in his arms, which is more than doing a body slam. He's just like carrying him about in his arms, and then he lets him fall on him. Like <laughs> these guys, I don't know what they can't do to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, a lot can be said about how the WWF will handle the Road Warriors in the end, but um, they. 
they could do some damn impressive stuff. So, yeah, I, I will always be interested in seeing the Road Warriors. There's a reason these guys made so much money in every territory they went to. They're considered one of the most successful tag teams ever, and rightfully so. A legitimate draw uh, in a in an age where tag teams weren't really put in that position. So you got to show them that appreciation. And I think you also got to recognize that, like you said, they're – a bias developed at some point, I think, against like these muscular guys. And I get it because for a long time, that's kind of the only people who mattered. And the WWF is pretty much responsible for that. But man, when people do it well in this style, like you can see why it was very popular. And I, I think there should be more appreciation for it. Yeah. And it's not just muscle. Like I said, you let one of these guys, that's why I try to tell people when they say, I don't mind it because Luger never gets praise. The only official way to praise Lex Luger is to say from 88 till 90 or 91, he was a good wrestler and it, during his heel run mainly. And I'm great. Like, I'll take that because we get nothing over here. But I always like that. I've said this a bunch of times. I like him when he's 265 baby face and popping those clotheslines and moving and giving energy. Yeah. And that's what you get from LOD, too. It's like it's not just they could stand still and clothesline you and probably legit break your face and your neck if they wanted to. So let them fly off the top rope and come off the ropes. And, you know, it's it's dangerous. And so I don't understand. Like, you can like them or not like them, but you can't pretend like you don't understand, like, what they're doing in there. <laughs> more and more as I watch wrestling, I come to appreciate wrestlers that are explosive, that mm -hmm. have that kind of movement, that kind of impact, that kind of forces you to take notice. These are often the kind of guys who I think get over the most in person. Because I don't know if you've ever been to a wrestling show, but just the sound of wrestling in person is so much more dynamic than what you'll ever see on TV. I can't imagine seeing the Road Warriors live. Like, it must have just been, like, holy, like, the shockwave will, like, knock you back in your seat when they're hitting the guy. So, yes, I will give all praise to the explosive wrestlers of the world. Yeah, maybe if you're a child, you cannot appreciate it because as a child, like if you want to explode, if you're a child and you start running, there's a little bit of explosion. No matter what, no matter if you work out, don't work out like it's just youth. I'm going to tell you as a late 30s mystic who has not been taking care of himself. My exploder is broken, Ms. Van. It's not there. The other day we were going to take the bus and we were two or three minutes late, just a little short trip. And we had to run. And you know how you got you got to launch yourself. You got to push it. You got to explode into it. The, the exploder has gone. It's not there. And these men are like 300 pounds in their 30s sometimes. And their exploder is there. So when you become an adult young one, you will ex you will appreciate the explosion more than ever before. Indeed, but um, probably shouldn't take steroids to explode, so yeah. let's, let's not necessarily be road warriors. <laughs> Are you no, trying I to tell you. me the hawk and animal might have taken steroids? Oh, surely not. You know that. Oh my god. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I watched part of the Arsenio Hall where Hulk Hogan's just like one or two times I was injured, you know. And <laughs> have you ever watched that? I have not. Um... It is uncomfortable. I never watched it, and I only watched part of it because I couldn't take it this morning. Hogan has Arsenio put a picture of him at 10 years old and, like, 196 pounds, and he's like, look at me at 10 years old, you know. 
and Arsenio, like, Hogan's trying to say all the newspapers are like fake news, they're garbage, and he's like, and Arsenio's got to kind of be nice to him because like you know he's his guest and he's 300 pounds, but he's also got to kind of have a reputation and be like, I read it in the newspaper, and newspapers are not just making everything up. It's wild. It's uncomfortable, and oh my, I could not finish it. Uh, I, for that very reason, I have avoided it. Um, we can add it to a future show if you want to, but man, it would be. Uh, <sighs> I don't even like to think about all that stuff. The Hulk Hogan being confronted by the real world is uncomfortable yeah. just to think about because he lives in his own world. He's very comfortable there, and to see him in that scenario. Like, it's not because I feel bad for Hulk Hogan, because I don't really care about Hulk Hogan, but just, like, to watch somebody's world be confronted like that, I think is uncomfortable in any scenario. So that's that's uh, that's something. Yeah, you could tell he had been given his talking points, and even then, without any pushback, he went from, he said he was 38 at the time, which shocks me he's 38 at this time, which yeah. props to Hulk Hogan, because he did some of this stuff young, he just never looked like it. But... He looked like he was five years old and like getting called out by his parents or something. And it's like, you can think he deserved it because clearly it's Hulk Hogan telling lies. It's that narrative, but it's also, like you said, I'm going to touch on something maybe at the end. I only watched it because of all of that, but man, I don't think the backdrop of what WWF is in right now and what it means for Vince McMahon and what it means for Hulk Hogan can be ignored in any of what we're seeing go down on the surface here in WWF. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it all kind of worked out in the end, but like, I can't imagine at this time being Vince McMahon. Cause like he could have gone to jail for this. Like he was ready to, he made arrangements yeah. for like going to jail for, <sighs> creating this like culture and this 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 um you know scenario and really just pushing everyone in his employ to take these steroids to do these things he did it we know he did it i think that's not a mystery to anybody he kind of escaped by the skin of his teeth and yeah like what a thing to be on on the other side of what a thing to be before instead of after and be looking down the gun of this God, a traumatic experience, really. So, man, it's easy to kind of skip over this, but, man, it's a huge thing. It's very significant. It is, and you really realize pro wrestling rhetoric is different than, like, political rhetoric, even though political rhetoric has kind of become pro wrestling rhetoric. But <laughs> to go to something that's like the circus or something like pro wrestling in a way was, like, it's very housed in itself. And then to have Hulk Hogan whose kind of whole thing is train, say your prayers, take your vitamins, hulking up. And, like, people actually believe it's like that. Maybe I think it's just – I think you can make a case that, like, all these grown-ups, like, oh, well, my children believe. Well, you know, you might have had an inclination, um, 35-year-old, that, that Hulk Hogan was doing other things. But <laughs> Hulk Hogan is like is – like like, uh, it's like a myth. You know, it's like if Jesus existed now – and they're like, oh, well, you know, he was doing all these miracles, but they were magic tricks. And, like, we just discovered it. And, like, sitting, like, then you got to go sit on a talk show, you know, and explain it. You know, it's, it's weird stuff. But, man, I'm not even, like, a Hulk Hogan fan. Like, I've never been a Hulk Hogan fan. But I couldn't watch it because whether he deserves it, whether he doesn't deserve it, it does me no good in my soul to watch it unfold. Mm, yeah. No, 
That, that's it exactly. Like, I don't really care wit for Hulk Hogan, but it's uncomfortable on a visceral level. And I think uh, empathetic, uh, potentially sensitive people like you and me, this, this is not the kind of thing that's healthy for us to watch. Like, I don't need to watch a man um, get his soul kind of penetrated on, on <laughs> national TV. Like, that's that's not what I need to see in my life. That is that's so beautifully said, because in a way, like, maybe the first time you see a sex scene, you're like, oh, my God, you're not supposed to be on TV. But then you've, you've seen a sex scene, you know. Uh, <laughs> there's no warning before a man has his soul penetrated, and you don't know what it's going to look like. And when it's over, you still don't know what it looked like, but you damn sure know what it felt like. Uh, it's a lot less fun for everyone involved also. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. This is uh, the Royal Rumble episode of the Legacy Series. <laughs> Man, it, it, you can't get your eyes off the fiasco, and you know did, I keep saying it, and I never thought it till I did this. But the dirtiest player in the game would slip into the WWF and take the world the, the title while this is happening. Yeah, yeah, sure. And again, great timing for him because uh, Ric Flair—he doesn't look like he's all pumped up on steroids. Ah. He probably was. Uh, yeah. To some extent, but, you know, he doesn't look like that, like Hogan or uh, even Savage or anybody. So, again, just great timing for this guy. Well, this is the world that we live in, and that's why I don't like anybody or anything, pretty much. But, you know, <laughs> Bret, <laughs> Bret Hart will later talk about he, you know, he, that he took steroids. So, of like, we're, we're not replacing Hulk Hogan and other guys who took steroids with people who don't take steroids. We're replacing people who look like they take steroids with people who look like they don't. <laughs> If one single person on this card did not take steroids, I'll be shocked. I bet Earthquake and Typhoon. I bet the Bushwhackers. <laughs> it was just, it was ubiquitous during this yeah. time, you know, and long after, you know, of folks, uh, steroids are like, oh, steroids, like, pumps up your muscles. But, yeah. no, that's one thing it does. But, you know, it helps with your general athletics. It helps injuries heal faster. It does all these things. It has a lot of negative things, too. But they're not thinking about that at this time. So, man, I, I believe every single wrestler on this card took steroids probably that day, you know. <laughs> so I, I'm not even going to think twice about, uh, you know, I'm not going to call out one person over another because they're all doing it. Yeah. Earthquake and his flexing pose might be my only argument against you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny to say, but I'll tell you, I bet he did. You know, I yeah. bet every one of them did. So, yeah, no, talk about guys who don't look like, well, let's just be grateful we didn't get Earthquake as world champion. You know, I think that might have been worse than Diesel. Uh, I won't say for sure, but maybe. I'd have to see it and then make a decision. <laughs> And you'd regret that you saw it, so. It's funny because Kevin Nash has manipulated the business more than almost anyone ever. Sure. But in his biggest run that put him on the map, I feel sorry for Kevin Nash. So, like, <laughs> that's the only time because you, we'll get to it eventually. And it's definitely not the conversation now. But, man, you watch the minute he loses that belt and turns heel and what he's capable of and what they made him for that year as that. And, again, but people will say that out loud. They will say, well, Lex Luger had on Lex Express, and he failed the WWF. And then they'll say, oh, they, they took a guy, like a badass like Diesel, and they made him into Kevin Nash, and they put him in sweaters, and they did, you know. So at least he gets that. But they did do that. Like, who wants to be that guy, especially in the mid-'90s when everybody knew that that day was over? Yeah, I, I, Nash is another guy I don't care about for one second, pretty much. But, yeah, you watch him over in WCW as well, and you see, like, 
this guy can be naturally very cool. And, um, you know, not that I, I'm watching 1999 right now, so I got not much good to say about Kevin Nash, but, Yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, guys who clearly had something and just, uh, you know, were not positioned to take advantage of it. It happens all the time. So let's not get carried away with, um, you know, Vince McMahon is a genius or anything like that. Yeah, we will have a lot of conversation coming, folks, because uh, they have delayed the Lex Luger doc, but I watched a trailer on it, and they better do better than their trailer. Some, I don't know if we're going to do Lex Luger on SummerSlam or if he's going to need a whole separate episode. We'll figure that out when we get there, but eventually there's going to be an episode either on SummerSlam or around SummerSlam where every WWF lie is going to be called on onto the table. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be a real uh, masterpiece, I think. I hope so. This one here fooled me because it looks like we're building up for something. And maybe, I don't know, because this is not a, this is not, this is a count out uh, yeah. with natural disasters beating LOD. Yeah, I have no idea what the point of that was. Uh, if it's building to something, I can't peer, I can't think of what it is. Yeah. Uh, we're building up Hawk and Animal to get their puppet eventually, so that... That's in the future. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's... Oh, I, I don't know when we'll see that, but, man, I, I'll have something to say about that for sure. I don't know what that is. Oh, no. Okay, all right. I'm is that not like a real spoil puppet, or, or is it a third member of the group? I'm not going to spoil it. We'll, we'll okay. watch it together when we get there. It's not Crush, is it? <laughs> it's not Crush. It's... Okay. We'll get there. Okay. I, I'm sure I've seen it before, but but... The whatever it is shouldn't happen. I can tell you that. I don't even know what it is. So that I'm you are you. correct about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This has been happening throughout the night, but I haven't called it out, so I want to mention it as we transition. But the story that Bobby Heenan is telling, this is so beautiful. Bobby Heenan is saying he has no idea what number Ric Flair drew because he's been with Gorilla Monsoon all day because they've had to prep the Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. So he's got this anxiety about what number Ric Flair has. And that's like four times or so during the night he's going to try to get out of the booth. Like he suggests he can go buy hot dogs for Gorilla Monsoon. He knows what kind he likes. Uh, he tries to pay somebody to go back there and Gorilla Monsoon shuts it down every time. But again, this is why you cannot start at the Royal Rumble to catch this masterpiece because it is this underlying anxiety about I haven't been able to be with him and I can't get to him. They don't have cell phones and he can't text them. He doesn't know what number he is, and that's good enough. But then when you know what number he's going to be, you have the gun, and the gun goes off because he's number three. That setup and payoff is so beautiful. Mm, it really is. Yeah, this whole night is just piece de resistance of Bobby Heenan. And uh, as you said, Monsoon as well. But, God, it, it's Heenan. I said it before. He's just living and dying all night over and over again. You want to talk about a guy who who lived and died 77 times on this night? I think Bobby Keenan had it harder than Ric Flair in the end. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, it's always like that because Flair at least is in the action. So whether he wins or loses, he's not observing it. You know, Bobby Heenan has to observe it and be the mouthpiece and the earpiece for what comes from it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's harder, I think, to maybe be the spectator in a case like this because there's nothing you can do if you feel that kind of powerless feeling and your life is basically riding on the line here. Like, I don't know if Bobby Heenan could have survived. Like, if Ric Flair was eliminated, Ric Flair would have survived. I don't know if Bobby Heenan would have survived. 
and he had no power over that situation at all, except to pour all of his energy, all of his positive energy towards Ric Flair. And by God, he does it. He puts him over the top, I do believe. Yeah, I know you know this, but for any of us you know, who have performed and been on stage, your release comes when you get to, like, be done waiting and actually get onto the stage. Mm, yeah, the waiting is worse, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, Ric Flair gets that. Bobby Heenan never gets that. It's three hours of wait. Oh, right down to the five. There's a moment late in with maybe four people left where Heenan just makes that noise. Oh, you know, like yeah. he, he understands how close he is and he understands it's going to be even worse now if it doesn't happen. And again, there's just nothing he can do about it. He is stuck waiting to see what will happen. Oh, man, it's like... If if you ever, it's like he has a loved one in surgery or something. Like he's mm. waiting to learn his fate, his his, his the fate of his um you know his his heart, his soul, his emotions here. Yeah, and we know how Ric Flair's wrestling IQ, and yet Bobby Heenan will have a couple of moments where he goes after Flair for how stupid he is. <laughs> so th- it's gonna get wild, you know. Oh, wild indeed! What an event! What a show! This is this is the golden. Um, example of so many things that we love talking about. This is the thread that goes through the night. One of the greatest examples ever is something we love. It is a golden example of characters richly interacting in different and unexpected ways. This match is made for people like you and me. It's a match I feel like is made for anybody. Like, if there's anybody out there who doesn't love the 1992 Royal Rumble, then that is a mystery to me. That's a very different kind of wrestling fan than I am. Yeah, one thing I thought for sure is that you can tell me that there's a Royal Rumble as good as this one, but you cannot tell me there's a Royal Rumble better than this one. <laughs> Damn straight. There's no way, because think about what the Royal Rumble was before this. Like I said at the beginning of the show, you could have put this in the drawer and forgotten it before 1992. Yeah, this is the How? one. Yeah. yeah. The elevation is extreme. It's partly the title on the line. It's partly the roster. And it's a big part, Bobby Heenan and Ric Flair. But my God, what do you want? Tell me what this show lacks. Like, seriously, I'd like to know what it lacks. Mm, mm, yeah, nothing for me, uh, except maybe someone better than the Bushwhackers in that yeah, one match. Sure. You know? But, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. We got some Fallout interviews, and then we got the Rapid Fire interviews. So poor Sean Mooney always has to get these mad people who are red in the face because they lost. Like, this is the dumbest thing I've watched in a long time. With Jimmy Hart wanting to call a lawyer because they didn't get the tag titles because they won by count out. <sighs> yeah, Jimmy Hart continues to be um, one of the lesser managers of this era just because uh, it's just all squealing and, like, annoying noises. So, I don't know. It wasn't for me. Yeah, then we move on to Roddy Piper, who's celebrating. Uh, this is a big-time opportunity you know, to win the IC title, but also, again, history is he might go out there and win the, the WWF title on the same night. Mm, yeah, there's um, there's something about Piper, and I, he, he was all smiles here, and oftentimes I think the difference in Piper between the good and then the bad slash ugly is when Piper's heart is really in it, and when it's in it, there's hardly anything better, and when he's forcing it, there's hardly anything worse, but here... Mm. Piper was feeling it, I think, on a high level. Like, he 
he was really giving me that authentic feeling on this night. Yeah, he looks younger than his years. Like, there's something about a youth or something coming out of him in this. Yeah, absolutely. Then we got Sean Mooney in the back and Barbarian just bumps into him and keeps on going. I love that so much. Give me that bustling backstage where people exist beyond, like, the guy that you're putting a microphone in front of. I love that. It's a nice touch. I love it, too. It, it again, is the, just the ongoingness of this night. But I also love who he's come back there to talk to because this is an interview, the first interview with a heel Shawn Michaels. Uh, they show us the barbershop from a week ago. Michael says, I saved you 29 beatings to Marty Jannetty, who cannot be in the Rumble, but not as bad as the one I gave you. And the thing I love most, you get this impression that maybe Shawn Michaels never thought about breaking up the Rockers, but just, like, in his youth, like, there was one week between now and this this moment where there's going to be a Royal Rumble and the belt was going to be on the line. Like, there's this opportunity, and if he could get rid of Marty Jannetty in a week, he would just be the WWF champion. It's not going to work out like that, but, like, there's just this naivete and this arrogance and this innocence all wrapped up uh, in this Shawn Michaels where it almost feels like, oh, my God, I'm going to be the world champion right now. And yet, yeah, you became a singles wrestler a week ago, buddy. <laughs> Indeed. And I would say here, and also his performance in the Rumble, I feel like there's always kind of this this unspoken narrative that when Michaels went single – it was almost like he had to learn how to be a wrestler again because hear a lot about like, oh, well, he didn't really know how to do, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, yeah, I mean, surely he would get better. But, man, like he's already a lot of what he would be both in and out of the ring. And I don't know. I just think um, at, at times I think it's possible to overrate Michaels. But if anything, I think he's underrated very much so right off the bat here as a heel because he's already looking very good, in my opinion. Yeah. I think you have to work very hard to overrate the man because that number one, I never heard that stupid storyline that you just said, but that's <laughs> it rings true. It sounds like every stupid thing I had never heard till I had heard it. Um, he is a natural, like his one of his biggest problems in life, I think, is that he's too gifted for his lack of maturity and um, ability to handle it. And like one uh, the thing I don't understand, and I put this in the rumble. He'll go up against Flair, who we watched him in a match. A week ago, and I was like, I've never seen these two against each other. Like he is, like, completely remade. Um, a week after turning or going singles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's got the the outfits. He's looking more like what we will know that he looks like. Um, he's got the the attitude, the swagger, uh, the way he cuts his promos, and the way he wrestles in the ring. So there, there's a lot of great stuff that we'll be able to talk about with Shawn Michaels very quickly here. Yeah, I honestly believe this. If this was another Hulk Hogan rumble and Michaels had 20 to 30 minutes, he would be that guy we'd be talking about instead of Flair. Sure, sure. But instead, the the right thing happens. This is Ric Flair's night, and we got a Coliseum uh, exclusive. Lord Alfred Hayes is with the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Yes, <laughs> yes, and uh, only if you watch this first on Coliseum video would you get the spoiler, I guess. Uh, but Flair reveals that he uh, drew number three. He says, if your name is Ric Flair and you're the real world champion, then to make everyone a believer, he's got to beat everyone. He predicts that he will go close to an hour. He says he's underrating himself. He will go over an hour, I believe, and he will still 
be the champion. It's a very good promo. It's a different promo than the one he's going to cut a little bit later here. This is much more like the measured Ric Flair, not the wild Ric Flair. Yeah. It's also a bit subversive because Benjamin Button is so smart in saying that, like, this is Ric Flair in WWF, but it's a portion. It's not the suits and it's not some of the other stuff, but it's the rogue Ric Flair. It's like part of Ric Flair. So even when he says, like, you know, I might have to almost go an hour. In NWA, he would be laughing and bragging and talking about being a 60-minute man and bringing up the night before. But, like, it's just this, you know, I might have to go an hour. And, like, it just feels like a wink. Those that know, know. Like, yeah, he's saying it so, like, oh, my God, this thing that's in front of me. But those that know, like, that's not a, oh, my God, I can't win this. That's a, hey, this thing was made for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, he, he will be a little bit more... Uh, bombastic later on, but yeah, yes. you're right. Um, it's um, interesting the way that you take Ric Flair in the WWF. So we go to one of our favorite things, I think, in this era, which is our rapid-fire prompt moves. Yes, yes. So good. We're going to talk to a whole bunch of people. We're going to talk to Randy Savage first, the macho man. He wants to accomplish two things tonight, to get his hands on Jake the Snake Roberts and to be world champion again. And uh, I think this is our first sign that we are moving in a different direction because uh, Randy Savage, for what happened at the last pay-per-view we watched, you'd think that he would only want one thing tonight, but he's kind of moving on a little bit mentally already. There will be more to say about Savage and Jake, which I am uh, glad to spend more time on. But yes, I think we're seeing the pathway changing already here. Yeah. I think if I'm watching this in real time, I think the reference to Jake waters down his chances to win, but yet mentioning it and the fact that he won WrestleMania four, there was there would be a seed of belief in me that Randy Savage could still win this thing. Sure, yeah. Even watching it all over again, I could believe it any time. Like this is a packed, 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 packed Royal Rumble in terms of star power, so it could have gone a whole bunch of different ways. What an exciting thing to put the world title on the line in a Royal Rumble like this. Man, that's a masterful stroke right there. If that was Vince or Patterson or whoever had that idea, that was a really brilliant one. I got to give credit. Yeah, it's the right time, right place. Is There's an ocean of talent. Um, Savage, is, Savage won World War Three, I think, the first one. And he's, he's just a guy. He won the WrestleMania four. He slips up on you. Like he doesn't have to be the favorite going in, but he can be the champion going out. Absolutely, yeah. This guy wasn't even uh, allowed to wrestle a couple months before, but you can never ever count out Randy Savage. Uh, Sid tells us that uh, the last man standing will be the WWF champion. He is superior to all. You're looking at the next WWF champion. You're looking at Sid Justice. I'm actually astounded that you could understand him because I did not <laughs> catch any of that. This is the Sid grit your teeth, never actually open your teeth for anything you say, whisper. <laughs> Some folks will really go to the mat for Sid, and I guess it's not entirely mysterious to me why, but God, like, I swear this guy acts like he doesn't know how to be a person or anything at times, like, baffling to me. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I go in. He, he's riding a wave um, out there, but... I always go in thinking more of him and go in. Like I, I left this show very disappointed. Um, <laughs> we'll see 96, 97 because he has a big run, and I think at least he's better fit for it with Psycho Sid. 
but this mess right here did not work for me uh, on severals. Like, I respect the ovation that he's going to get, but we'll talk about it. But, yeah, I'm with you on Sid right now. Hey, if there's one thing Sid could do, it's get ovations. Like, yeah. that's his only ability somehow. <laughs> I don't Apparently, get it. I kind of get it. He's got, like, this weird aura. It's um, it's very easy, I guess, to get excited before he actually does anything, because then he does it, and then you have to be disappointed because it's Sid, and he's doing... You know, he's not very good at it. So, uh, like you said, we'll talk about it more. But, like, he's done. You know, he's got this rumble. He's got that WrestleMania main event, which, spoiler alert, stinks. And then he'll be gone for many years. So his run is already over, practically. And, man, it stunk. Like, is there one good thing in this whole run that Sid did? I don't know if there is. It's not even good or bad. Like, I don't really recall him being here. <laughs> That's a great point. He was a referee. He was injured, you know. And now this, and that that's basically all that happened. So, man, this is the guy that they thought, oh, well, he's going to, like, take over the world. Yeah, no, it's not going to happen, guys. The funny thing is I didn't know that this was, the Royal Rumble 92 was in New York. And Sid has said, because... Sid as a heel is cheered over Michaels in New York at Survivor Series, and Sid in a promo says, or in a shoot says, they're not going to boo him in New York. It's not going to happen. So I guess. I, I did not know that New Yorkers had such terrible taste, but yes, <laughs> apparently they love Sid there. So Yeah. We catch the Repo Man's, I think, uh, slogan for the first time, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. You could easily tell me, oh, that's not Smash. You know, Smash died. Yeah. He was replaced by another guy to do this yeah. gimmick, you know. And I would believe you. Like, I, I don't care a bit for Repo Man or his gimmick, but, man, what a chameleon this guy is. Because from Smash to Repo Man to, what is, he's Blacktop Bully, too, and all these yeah. other things, right? So, man, you could tell me that was, like, three different guys or more, and I'd believe you. I respect Smash, so. You know, I give him props for it. Sure, I, I don't... Yeah, well, maybe not, but we'll just leave it there. <laughs> British Bulldog is bragging about things that didn't happen on our TV, so he won a 19-man Battle Royal or Royal Rumble, so that means he's going to win the Royal Rumble. Sure, bud. <laughs> but yeah, good, good luck with that. <laughs> then we get to Jake Roberts. Yes, Jake says uh, he always gets what he wants, and he would never disappoint himself. He says he promises he'll be still waiting for Randy Savage in this match, and uh, he's going to win it as well. He'll he'll save a piece for Savage, though, so still some interesting stuff there. Yeah, and then this is how good good storytelling, because Miz fan and I have been very sympathetic to the way he was treated at that bachelor party, but I've also heard a lot of quotes from him that, like, I would never disappoint myself. You, I don't mind. So, like, good storytelling, you can feel sorry for someone, then you can turn the angle enough and be like, oh, I also see why they might want to have excluded him. <laughs> it's you chicken know. or the egg, you know? Did they exclude him because he's creepy, or did he act creepy because he was excluded? I yes. really don't know. One exacerbated the other. Meanwhile, Ric Flair says, mirror, mirror on the wall, uh, who's the fairest of them all? And that's the straight... Um, quote from fairy tales but at the same time the word fairest makes sense i think rick flair is the fairest of them all here so i I think it's a nice um little ode here to what's to come sure you gotta be fair to flair you know fairness is very important here (laughs) (laughs) oh man so they're getting ready for it uh paul baron the undertaker's been a busy afternoon 29 caskets have been prepared so that's a lot of work Mm. 
Man, I got to back up and say good. Mirror, mirror on the wall. That's so iconic to me, man. I think about that sometimes. I don't even know if I knew that that was from this show. When I think of Flair, I think of that line sometimes. Like, man, Flair is just on fire at this time. He came in, I guess, at the right time as well. Because even in, like, 91 over in WCW, I don't think I was that excited about him when we went through. It was kind of like, oh, Flair... You know, he's here still. He's kind of holding everybody down. He's kind of sucking. But, man, he is, like, on fire here to, I guess, prove himself again. He's in a new place where he's got to prove himself or something. But, man, Flair's about as good here as we've seen him, and that's saying a lot. Yeah. Can you imagine? We know Flair's lack of confidence. And I think 90-91, like, he was forced to get a haircut. He was told he was too old. Mm. You know, he was clutching on to something that seemed small and then he goes to New York and Vincent Mann's like, that. I'm going to give you the world title and I'm going to do a whole Royal Rumble to give it to you. Like that had to be um, a justification. And I think we're seeing the outlet or the outpouring of what he's feeling, even in his promos. Absolutely. So and I think just maybe getting to go to a fresh environment. Yeah. If you've ever changed jobs or had some kind of big change in your life, you may have found that oftentimes it is like you have a new life. For a little while, everything is just new and fresh, and you can kind of be better than you were. You feel better than you did. I think we're seeing a hugely um, refreshed Ric Flair in this time, and that is awesome to see. As far as we're going to see it again, he'll go back to WCW in 93, have that amazing feud with Vader, and again, like, he'll feel fresh again, like, better than he was in 1990, 1991. So there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. He is in one of the peak runs of his life, especially in the later part of his career. Yeah, absolutely. It's wild to me because there's also a narrative like, oh, after 89, Flair wasn't really at his peak. And maybe that's true because, like, Flair's peak is just incredibly high. And I imagine there are people who watch these eras closely who maybe see things that I don't see. But, man, you just take some of those individual showings, though, from 92, from 93, and goddamn, he's as good as anybody that I could talk about. Yeah, I'm not even going to go down this rabbit hole, but I recently saw people um, knocking the Flair Vader match, so... Oh, fuck. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes you can't even have a conversation. (laughs) Nope, sometimes people are just uh, living on a different planet than you, and it's better just to live and let live. Yeah. What a world, though, in WWF that we go from zero-time world champion Ric Flair to one-time world champion The Undertaker. Yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) That's wild. Yeah, man, again, I'll just say the star power of this match, it's incredible. Um, just just watch these rapid-fire promos, and yeah, unfortunately, Repo Man's in there, but everybody else is like a guy who could main event your pay-per-view easily, so, you know, it's uh, it's an impressive array of talent. Absolutely. Undertaker and Paul Bear are so young, so fresh, and you have vets in a way, because, man, they, they, they're the ones that got in there and did all this stuff. Yeah, no kidding. Paul Bear especially, man, this feels like a guy um, uh, ageless. Like you, know, like you could have been around for about a thousand years at this yes. point, and you wouldn't have been surprised. That's beautiful. Yeah, Hulk Hogan says the Hulkamaniacs. Uh, we get to prove a point that nobody else could prove but us. Uh, friends or foes don't exist. Blah blah blah. I think Hulk Hogan is a bad night for Hulk Hogan the way it goes down. But I don't. I think absolutely Hulk Hogan needed to not win this thing. 
Oh, absolutely, and I think that'll really be proven by the fact that uh, folks are not even high on him. Like, even before, I think, he uh, does the betrayal here. You know, I think um, we're a far cry from uh, five years ago at this point. Um, Yeah, Hogan here will complain about being betrayed by his so-called friends, he says. And I don't even know who he's talking about. Like, who betrayed him in this scenario? Everybody always. (laughs) Everybody always, exactly. He will criticize Jack Tunney, the neutral authority figure, um, he will spend a lot of this promo saying we, but he's going to find out pretty soon that actually he is alone tonight. Yeah, you'll see that look on his face later, too. Oh, my God. Okay, so we're Rumble. Jack Tunney's going to come out and get booed, but oh the God. fact that the world title is on the line is going to get cheered. Yes, yes. I don't know why they booed Jack Tunney, to be honest, but um, why not, I guess? <laughs> yeah, why not? Okay, so this is it, folks. This is the 1992 Royal Rumble. Uh it begins with the British Bulldog and Ted DiBiase. Indeed, and you may be thinking Ted DiBiase is about to go on a big run once again, as he has done in some years past. But no, we have another guy who's going to take that role. Instead, Ted DiBiase goes out uh, in like the first minute or so, I think, which is a shocker to me, kind of a shame, but setting uh, the tone, I guess, for this night being one of surprises. It's also just this weird, low-key conspiracy theory, like, t- entanglement that before going to the WWF, people thought Ted DiBiase might go to the NWA and kind of be the next Ric Flair, the guy that go- comes after Ric Flair, that takes the mantle. Instead, he goes to WWF and he becomes the million-dollar man, and some people think that if Flair had gone to WWF, <laughs> he would have been the million-dollar man. So they're, like, tied together like that, and it's almost like now... He had that big run in the year before. Now we got to get him out of there before Ric Flair comes in. You you damn near think they're the same person or there's something weird going on here. (laughs) Wrestling's biggest conspiracy, Ric Flair and Ted DiBiase, one and the same. Just uh, that's interesting. Uh, There you go. Yeah. And so he's out and Ric Flair is coming in and this will be the first of two times. that It's kind of like we're resetting this thing, you know, Flair and Davey. And Davey is a great, you know, Sting and Lex Luger in that the military press bumps like Ric Flair is gonna let uh, Davy uh, do all the all the is gonna bump him about bump Flair about for a long time so you know <laughs> Flair Flair knows he's gonna be in there over an hour and he starts off like getting military pressed and and dropped on his back and all that good stuff. Well, Davy Boy is definitely in that uh, Lex Luger vein of uh, physicality where Flair can kind of just do what he maybe does best and uh, bump around for him. But, man, you got to talk about when Ric Flair comes out at number three and yes. Bobby Heenan sees him for the first time, the emotional reaction, Bobby Heenan is distraught beyond words. And Gorilla Monsoon, man, he is gleeful. He says, you could kiss him goodbye, brain. Uh, Bobby Heenan doesn't even hear him because he's standing up. We can't see him, but it sounds like he's not even by the table for a minute here because he has to come back and monsoon has to like retell him what he was trying to tell him before that people who draw from one to five never make it to the end and oh my god what a what an emotional uh kickoff we have the real emotional kickoff of the match is right here and again as i said we've been building up this all night bobby heenan did not know what number even number two uh, before they come out, Gorilla's like, Ric Flair, no, and just joking around, they might be number two. 
and then again throw you off the scent and then flair is number three and flair comes out like rick flair does robe on confident bobby Heenan says no damn it and like you said he just disappears from the booth gorilla's got to tell him to sit down he's gonna have a heart attack and then he's got to explain like what he said again so i think that juxtaposition too of hey here's confident rick flair but here's what Ric Flair's really feeling, folks. <laughs> Bobby Heenan. <laughs> Bobby Heenan is the uh, Jiminy Cricket. He is the heart on the sleeve mm-hmm. of Ric Flair on this night. He's channeling, as you said, the emotion of Ric Flair. The stuff that he can't show in the ring is shown through Bobby Heenan here. And maybe, maybe, like Ric Flair's biggest strength tonight is the fact that he doesn't know enough of WWF experientially to know that he's not supposed to have any chance to win this thing. Oh, man. I was just thinking, how easy would it have been for them to put Ric Flair at number 30 or something and say, oh, he just won because he was at number 30, you know, something like that would have been so easy, so expected to do. To have him come in at number three and go all the way, man, what a masterful stroke that turned out to be. Yeah, and I would have thought they would have put him 30. Sure, exactly, yeah. Because what, what is he saying about Hulk Hogan and Sid? They come in like 26 or 29 or whatever, and yeah. he like gets rid of all of them. So it's a big – like Vince McMahon clears everything out. If he doesn't do anything else for Ric Flair, he clears everything out on this night and gives it to Ric Flair. Oh, yeah. I can't speak too badly against – the only thing you could say against Vince McMahon is handling of Ric Flair is that he gave up after the first like year, year yeah. and a half. It was just like, well, now we don't need you, you know. Obviously, that was a mistake in hindsight, but yeah, the handling up to that point, for as often as Vince McMahon trashed folks who came from the other place, he did right by Ric Flair, at least for a while here. Yes, I love it, and that's so true, and it needs to be said because Vince deserves a lot of critique, and he gets it mm-hmm. here because he deserves it, but my God, you know, this is outside the narrative of how you get treated uh, when you come over. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And say what you will, he didn't wear the suits, his presentation could have been better. Yeah, I think you can make that argument, but damn, just watch this match and tell me things didn't actually go pretty damn well in this pairing. Yeah, even the fact that Flair could say mirror, mirror on the wall because he's Ric Flair and um, he wasn't, he could have easily been the narcissist Ric Flair if he, if he got a bad break. <laughs> oh, they could have done so many bad things to Flair, so let's just all be thankful for a moment that that didn't happen. Here's how good Bobby Heenan is. I don't know if this is meant to be sincere or to needle. He says to the, um, I need to apologize to the people. I don't think I can be objective tonight. <laughs> Literally my next note. Oh, my God. It's incredible. And Monsoon, of course, retorts with, when have you ever been objective? <laughs> so, like, at least he said it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That shows you, like, the extent of Bobby Heenan's feelings here. He is so over the edge that even he recognizes that he is over the edge. Even he is not trying to hide it at this point. Yeah. Bobby Heenan, when he is anxious and urgent, like he he did get up from the booth at one point, but his voice sounds like he's pacing the entire night. Absolutely. He's in the waiting room of the hospital, you know, waiting to find out if, uh, you know, he's going to live or die, I think. So, (laughs) holy smokes. It's also a master class on managing because you don't get to hear the managers at ringside, but he's he man he's managing Flair half this time, and so you get to hear what a like a an A plus manager sounds like. Oh, absolutely! Bobby Heenan does not 
call the action of this match. Bobby Keenan spends the whole match yelling to Flair, coaching Flair. Flair can't hear him. Doesn't matter. Bobby Keenan is putting that energy out into the universe on the barest hope that it can reach Ric Flair and somehow help him. And you know what? Who's to say it didn't? Absolutely. And Gorilla says in the most unbothered voice, how unfortunate for the executive and the financial advisor to lose their jobs because this guy drew number three. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You were so right. You called out Monsoon being a key part of this. The way they go back and forth, the way Monsoon needles Bobby Heenan. uh, Yeah, this this is a real reversal because Monsoon usually... You know, he'd, he'd be in there with Hogan mentally or, or somebody, whoever the big baby face is, you know, he'd be in there kind of heart and soul. Really, if anything, Monsoon is kind of like sitting back in this match and just, uh, you know, giving that hard time to Bobby Heenan. It's Bobby Heenan who, you know, has his whole heart and soul tied up in here. Yeah, more than one time Bobby Heenan will tell him, shut up, I told you, just leave me alone. <laughs> in defiance of what their jobs are. It's more (laughs) important. Like, it doesn't matter to Bobby Heenan what he's supposed to do right now. There's only one thing he's going to do, and you can't stop him. You know what, man? I've always loved the not fair to Flair. It rhymes. It's a slogan. Fair to Flair, yes. You know, and they're going to build it all night. But the thing that just hit me, nothing has really been unfair to Flair. (laughs) When you think about the career that Bobby Heenan's had and the drama, like – I wonder how much of the trauma of his entire WWF existence has he already placed on this situation with Ric Flair? (laughs) Uh, It's a great question, but uh, you say nothing's been unfair to Flair at the start of the show. Uh, Bobby Heenan tells us, oh, Flair shouldn't even have to be in the Rumble. The winner should just fight him after the match. That would be fair to Flair. So clearly (laughs) he was not fair to Flair because that's what should have happened by Bobby Heenan's standard. Yeah, and more power to him. Spin, spin those webs. But the <laughs> the funny thing is, Flair would have been less impressive if that had been the case. That's very true. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. And it just shows you, like, all this. It's not that Bobby Heenan didn't have confidence in Ric Flair, but just he had so much riding on this. He wouldn't want yeah. to take any chance if there was any hope that he could give any advantage to Ric Flair uh, to make it more fair, quote-unquote. You know he was going to take it. Yeah, I... I haven't loved sports in a long time, but I've known what it's like in the past when I liked, I was a big Kobe Bryant fan. I wanted him to get six rings because that's what MJ had. And right. So you, you not only become a fan of somebody, but then you're a fan of their legacy and then you want them to get a certain thing. And then you got to watch every single game and you got to see it happen in real time where they win or lose. And I both have had moments where I have loved that and I miss it because you lose these big chunks of your life and you don't care about things anymore. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I have felt like Bobby Heenan, like trying to watch things like that. Whereas like my older brother, for example, win, lose or draw with his team. He loves the the spirit of it. And like he'll have a reason why they lost. And it's, it's argumentative. Whereas I am more like anxiety and pacing and like, oh, my God, I hate my life. Like, why am I investing like this? Mm-hmm. So there's different kinds of people. And um maybe it's better for Bobby Heenan to be a manager because he can try to interfere and get beat up or beat someone up. I think he has caught himself. The weasel has been caught in the most unfortunate trap to be in the booth for an hour while this goes on. Mm, yep, yep, absolutely so. 
Ooh, yeah, this is uh, torture <laughs> for Bobby yeah. Heenan at times, I think. Uh, Mr. Sags comes in. Haku comes in. Last uh, last showing of Haku, I think, for a long time. Oh, man. Yeah, and he's good here. He was good. He wasn't even in for too long, but Haku, uh, he's always good. Like, I'll praise that guy. I don't want to yeah. say for sure. I could be wrong, but, man, we might not see him again until uh, he jumps, like, just uh, just before WCW dies. Like, he'll be in the 2001 Rumble, if you can believe it. Yeah, he's got big, beautiful things to do in WCW. He does, yeah. Faces of fear. Love it. Yeah, so he's in there. He's going to put a pile driver on Davey in the middle of the ring. Mm. He's going to scrap with Ric Flair a little bit, so there's some good stuff. Yep, yep. And the first showing, as you said, of uh, a former Keenan client giving the business to uh, Ric Flair, much to Keenan's... Uh, disgust and horror and you don't know what's gonna happen at first because gorilla and bobby are very much heel or baby face comes out it's like oh here's some rest for flair or it's not gonna let up for flair <laughs> sometimes but, they're right but hey sometimes they're wrong yeah uh sean michaels is out next good heat for sean michaels after the uh marty Jannetty thing so that's a positive sign for him indeed indeed he gets to scrap with rick flair as well in here so there's yes. your uh, preview of uh, things to come many years later. Absolutely. We also get Sean and Davey, who we're going to see uh, wrestle for the IC title in the near future, so that's interesting as well. Absolutely. Uh, super kicks everywhere, and I will remind you that the finisher for Shawn Michaels is not the super kick. At this time, it is the side suplex. <laughs> yes, for all the um, staying power that we'll have. Yeah, Tito comes out next. That's going to be uh, Shawn Michaels' opponent. Uh, at WrestleMania, so that is, I think, uh, booked cleverly. Yep, yep, I think so. Uh, Barbarian after that, and uh, Bobby Heenan tells us Barbarian doesn't like anyone. Even when I managed him, he barely liked me. Mm. Anybody guess that Barbarian and Jake are going to be main eventing WCW this year? Holy crap! <laughs> yeah. I did not think of that. Holy crap, that that's really something. God, how yeah. can that be the same year? That's just wild. Okay. Wow. It's a strange world. I don't know what WCW. And it, it, like you said, you're going to get War Games. You're get some really cool WCW, such as Dangerous Alliance. But if you were just watching this Rumble on this night, you would think maybe that they bought WCW out and there's no other wrestling going on. <laughs> oh, my. Yes, not to go down that 1992 WCW hole again. I'll just avoid that entirely for now. Yeah, so Texas Tornado is out next, and this is, again, these guys have deep history with Ric Flair, so that's kind of cool to see. Oh, absolutely. And Bobby Heenan just said, oh, they just keep getting bigger and bigger. All these guys come out, and yeah, like, what, what stardom in this match? Uh, I'd say very few people in this match you can just sort of wave off, so that that's really something. Here is how good Bobby and Gorilla are and how clever they are, because... Next up, Gorilla Monsoon is going to do what Bobby Heenan asked him to do. So Bobby Heenan is yelling again. He says, you just call the action and get off my case. And without missing a beat, Gorilla says, flare on the canvas again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, the... Ah, the, uh, the, 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 the chemistry here between these two is never greater than on this night. And that is really saying something. Yeah, and again, like we're running through some of these people. Bulldog and Flair right now are there for all of it. Mm, yeah, yeah, you know. Absolutely. So they're seeing the ups and downs. Repo Man uh, is going to come in next, and I will say this: Repo Man, 
we talked about last week has a gimmick that works for nobody. Like, nobody wants to get hired and be like, you're going to be the repo man. And yet, every time he's been out there, Bobby Heenan has tried to justify him. Like, and he has to walk in that weird way and sneak up on people because he's the repo man. Bobby Heenan makes that whole thing into like, oh, why would you get in the ring? Why would you hurry up? Like, he's smart to take his time. So, man, you, you could not pay Bobby Heenan enough money at this time in WWF. Oh, absolutely. Um, he's brilliant in there from start to finish. And, yeah, if anyone uh, could justify the Repo Man, I guess it would be Bobby Heenan. <laughs> oh, wow. I also thought Tornado and Michaels could have been cool. Yeah, I, did they... Maybe they will fight, maybe as we watch along, but... Uh, I, yeah, I think you're good. I, I got nothing against Texas Tornado. I think he had his moments. I think Michaels could do a nice little flip out of getting punched in the face. <laughs> Michaels <laughs> could do a nice little flip out of anything at one point, so yeah. uh, that's a good point. Greg Valentine is in next, and again, not only is Greg Valentine one of the longest records in the Royal Rumble, but the history between Greg Valentine and Ric Flair is there as well. Yes, they get to play off that a little bit here, which I was very grateful to see. Um, that's another guy won't last too long. And, uh, last, last time we'll see him for a long time. So another, uh, real great talent who's going away. It's not just, this is the crazy thing. It's not just the main eventers who are really going to be switching over very soon. It feels like the whole roster is going to be switched out as we go forward here. Like it's going to be a different company one day when we wake up. Yeah. And it, the thing I think is strangest about that is, in a year or so, they're going to do this. Or maybe it's the same year. Later this year, they're going to do the same thing again. What? They're going to, they're going to change everything out the same year? Yeah, like Bulldog, Warrior, um, mm. probably others I can't think of. But like this is why we're going to get Sean and Brett at Survivor Series in a matchup that you pretend like never happened because <laughs> you know, the whole roster is going to, going to be gone again. And then they're going to reset with the new generation. So there are a lot of resets in this like next year or two. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I think through through 92, you're right, kind of two big exoduses, but it's really kind of one long exodus through the whole year, yes. you know, so uh, we're going to see huge changes like the 93 Rumble feels like it takes place on a different promotion, on a different planet compared to this one. Yeah. And Randy Savage is like the thousand year old man who's just in the ring <laughs> with people who in someone else's company in 93, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're going to see a totally different vibe from him, from the few people that are remaining. My God, this is strange, wow. And you don't get this much because Vincent Mann, we know, is over-controlling. Mm. You know, this is WCW where, like, oh, Bill Watts is in charge. No, that the pizza guy is in charge. No, uh, Vince Russo is in charge. No, Eric Bischoff is in charge. But this is the time where, you know, Vince McMahon, like you said, is making plans to turn the company over uh, in the next year or two, so... WWF, this is where I respect WWF. Like, it's hard to respect them when the narrative is just like, oh, they're they're better than everybody, and they've always been better than everybody. They'll always be better than everybody. <laughs> no, sometimes they were great. Sometimes they weren't so great. But, man, sometimes like their existence was on the line, and they had to remake themselves several times in several ways to even find their way forward. Yeah, yeah, and they figured it out one way or the other, you know, with ups and downs, and we will cover all of them as we go forward here. I think one thing that's hard to watch is when I first started watching, Valentine was probably quick, soon to leave the WWF. And mm. so I kind of met him as an almost jobber in WCW. Sure, sure. So you don't think one way or the other. But now seeing what he's capable of every time they push him and how they kind of let him decline 
And then WCW just does nothing with him. I guess that's sad uh, with Valentine. It's a damn shame, yeah. I mean, I think um, this is a guy who who definitely got his moments in the sun, maybe earlier, but he had a lot more that he could have done. And, you know, he's in there with Tito, with with other guys, where, you know, you just know there was more on the table that they just didn't go for. I think Benjamin Button and I had a fun conversation because there's a Greg Valentine shoot where – he either walked out of WCW or caused a uh, uh, um, caused a lot of um, trauma and 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 chaos because he was meant to job to Sting and there was kind of he was kind of going nowhere with it and he just he just went on about how he didn't desire to job to Sting and so I just looked up the Nitros in the future where he lost to Lex Luger and I've never heard him talk about that but man he didn't want to lose to Sting <laughs> so take that for what it's worth. Different well, narrative. I like it. <laughs> um, Nikolai Volkov is replacing either Marty Jannetty or we have one other guy that lost their place in the Rumble. Um, yeah, I can't recall who, but uh, we get Nikolai Volkov, and that you know he's he's in there for about a minute, which is about right. Right. Um, Big Boss Man, who I kind of forgot was around. Yeah, he. You know, after having such a great 91, has sort of uh, fallen off a little bit here. So we'll see what happens with him. He's got nails still to be created kind of for him, but we kind of know how that's going to go. So, yeah, after uh, he'll be in WCW in 93, so he's another one who's going to be going, and he really ought not to have, in my opinion. They, they really should have worked to keep him around because uh, he didn't look like a steroid guy either. And, man, can you think no. about the matches he would have had with Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, you know, some of the great stuff he could have done. Yeah, take him over Diesel. Yeah, for God's sake. Um, he, has, he has good stuff with Michaels and Flair in here. Yeah, he does. You know, for only being in there probably a few minutes, um, he, he does very well for himself. As always, I mean, he's the big boss man. Of course, he's great. He's just standing, trading punches with Flair, and he blocks Flair's punch and just picks up his leg like, like a fist and slaps Flair across the face with it. They must have wrestled at some point, but, man, I would have loved to see a proper between them. You know, Boss Man could have been a great challenger for Flair, you know, in between uh, this and WrestleMania or something. Absolutely. Around the 14th or 15th, so we're getting close to halfway through the Royal Rumble, Flair eliminates Davey, so that's a big, big situation because now Flair is the longest person in the Rumble. Davey had a, a good run, uh, but every time you mention Flair at that time, you hit for half the Rumble. You have to mention Davey, who was in before. And Sean and Tito uh, go over the top rope together, I think signifying where they'll be at WrestleMania. <laughs> yep, yep, that's one of the biggest signs. Um, one thing I love about these old Rumbles is the way they track, like how long people have been in the ring and mm-hmm. what the records are. And I think even now they do this somewhat, but it's such a different feeling. Like now it's almost like a computer is like reading you the stats, but here it's like, you feel like Monsoon has, like, a sheet of paper, and he's, like, making, uh, like, marks and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And you, you, there's something about it that's so, like, you get the feeling that nobody told him to do this. He's just doing this because he understands that it is interesting, and he's doing it just kind of, like, because he's a great commentator. I don't, there's something about it. They do this a lot in early Rumbles. They talk about, like, previous record holders. They talk about history. They acknowledge that it happened. Um, you know, who, who's been in the longest, who was in the shortest. Uh, it's great. I love this kind of conversation. 
I love it too because I feel like he's about two to four minutes off every claim that he makes. <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> so. But hey, that's but if he uh, is, I love that because, like you said, he's making marks on a sheet of paper in my head with, with like you know, you ever seen one of those like half pencil pencils that don't have an eraser? Yes, sure. Like that's what he's got up there. He got like a little half sheet of paper and a half pencil making marks. Yeah, you feel like he just dug it out of the desk, like when he thought of it, and it's not yes. like yeah, I don't know, I can't stand it in the new ones because it's always just like Michael Cole and he's reading off like, you know, it's, I'll just say Michael Cole. You probably understand just from that, yeah. like the vibe of it and how it's not good. It's the world we live in, man. I took, I took a marketing class online just for the heck of it. And I respect kind of the data and what we can do with it. Like in one way, it's so interesting, but in another way, it is the reason why every single thing is predictable right now. And I think the least predictable human being in the WWF might have been Gorilla Monsoon. I don't know if he ever knew what he was talking about. I don't know if he ever knew what was going on. But my God, he was good at like acting like he did. And I want the stumbling, bumbling Gorilla Monsoon over like like the machine reading us all the things. <laughs> That's for damn sure. No, I love Gorilla Monsoon. Um, what a time in the WWF when there were people who like predated Vince McMahon or remembered when he was like the snot-nosed kid doing interviews like for his dad's company. You know, Monsoon, I think, is one of these guys who was bought in on like the ground level of this version of the WWF and like nobody could really tell him what to do. And, you know, he played along. He did his job. He wasn't just out there for himself. But you can clearly tell like this is a guy who is going to do things his own way and nobody can tell him differently. And that's beautiful. I wish there were more people like that. And maybe I would regret it because I'm sure some would abuse it. But God, Monsoon, he was just perfect for it. And Vince needed that because oh, sure. as good humans, bad humans, none of us are in a vacuum. And we know this. And so, like, how necessary is it if you're Vince McMahon to have someone who can say, you know, hey, I remember you at 20. Like, I remember you when you when you were Shane McMahon. Like, when you were that kid, <laughs> I remember you when you were the guy that didn't know what he was doing. I remember you when you couldn't do X, Y, and Z. And as that goes away, like, I know for myself, if I was Vince McMahon, there would be part of me that would be relieved. Like, you know, oh, now oh, I, I, everything I say is rule. But, like, the thing that sets you free also imprisons you. Yeah, very true. You enter a world of Bruce Pritchards and, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> road dogs and whoever the hell else is uh, responsible for everything. So I hated seeing him. He's on that trailer with Luger and I've already listened to his stupid show on Luger. Like he, he's made himself clear. Like I feel like get somebody who's not already so on the record for what they think of the guy. If you want to do a documentary. Well, at least they'll never do a documentary on brother love. That's for sure. And if they did, God, I, I know Andre what I'd say about that. <laughs> so yeah, I think Andre, they talk about Andre didn't like him. Like he liked Bruce Pritchard, but he didn't like Brother Love. But I, I wonder if he was sniffing or just something else he didn't like. <laughs> Easy to say now with no Andre to yeah. uh, contradict it. So. All right, I didn't want to get to this next one because man, you live long enough to see the beginning and the end of careers. And Hercules is number fifteen. Yeah, yeah, number fourteen. Oh, uh, fourteen. My numbers yeah. are off the whole time. I'm one <laughs> off the whole time, so thank you for that. Good monsoonism. Uh, very yeah. nice. <laughs> number fourteen, the uh, supposedly cursed position, and maybe it's correct because, as you say, we're near the end here for poor Hercules. Um, 
you know, it'll probably not last a minute here even. And, uh, you know, we're not going to see too much more of this guy. And uh, it's a shame. But um, I love that even in his minute here, we get conversation about when Hercules also was a uh, Heenan family member. And uh, Monsoon posits that maybe Hercules will target Flair because of how Heenan treated Hercules when he was a client. So that's a beautiful little moment. Yes, that was a good one. I also love that we get a bunch of eliminations so that at the halfway is Flair and Bossman. Like the ring is cleared out. Two, there's two reasons. Number one, because Flair is going to dump Bossman, and I like what we're going to see as far as one to one next. But I don't know if they thought about this, but Flair being number three allows someone to eventually be number two or number one, so they can still make history again in the future. You know, because Flair might as well be number one in this, but he's not. So I don't know if it was because of that or just randomly, but like this almost resets it without officially losing two and one in that future history. But it also kind of lets us know again, like getting rid of Davey and Flair being by himself. It lets us know this whole thing has been about Ric Flair so far. (laughs) He is the glue that holds the Rumble together. Sometimes there are folks who are in the Rumble a long time and it doesn't really matter, um, you know, because they're just sort of there. Ric Flair, man, he is in it all the way. They're even going to talk. Even Monsoon, he will give credit to Ric Flair more than once towards the end of this. He will say he's in there, and he is still attacking, he will say. He will say, I never doubted the guy's uh, ability, which I don't know. Maybe if you go back, that's true or not. But he will show respect to Ric Flair before the end of the night, and that in itself is almost a bigger victory than winning the title. Yeah, he, he just starts it early, and I think there's, some, there's a sincerity in it that I appreciated, and there's also this other thing of, I think, early on, it's whether he's trying to just help Bobby Heenan feel better or whatever he's trying to do, he almost talks about, you know, when Ric Flair, it's, it's almost like when Ric Flair gets eliminated, like, here's what we can take from it. Like, he has proven something to me. It's almost like winning the championship in itself. And I, that's nice, and I appreciate it. But if you ask Bobby Heenan or Ric Flair, I don't think that they would agree with it. <laughs> Very true. I meant uh, maybe the difficulty of it rather than the uh, warm, fuzzy feeling that you'll get about yeah. it. But <laughs> no, you're right. What's more beautiful than after Flair drops uh, Boss Man and there's nobody left? He just does the Ric Flair drop in the middle of the ring by himself for oh, the halfway point. Amazing. This is I. Ric Flair had so many great matches that could go up to an hour that I don't know if you can fairly say that this is Ric Flair's finest hour, but God, it's got to be one of them because he is never stopping just being great in there all through the match. He is just doing a wonderful job. He is alert. He is keen in. He is ready to do everything, work in the crowd. Man, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Absolutely. Beautiful thing to watch, too, is who is out next, which is Roddy Piper. This is the moment, like, this is the the, the, the peak, I think, of the Rumble for me. Because I don't know if there's any sequence better in any Rumble than what we're going to get here. The ring is cleared out. Flair is alone. Who's next? Roddy Piper. The crowd goes nuts. Bobby Heenan is almost crying about the way Piper is attacking Ric Flair Next guy comes out is Jake Roberts. He comes in. What's he going to do? He sits back, and he lets them fight. But then mm. when Piper turns his back, Jake attacks him as well. And who is next? It's Randy Savage. He's charging the ring. This is pure chaos. Oh, my God. This is just some amazing 
incredible, incredible stuff right here. Savage is not actually next. He's a little later on. I'm remembering now. But, God, just like from this point on, the match is just going on another level, I think. Oh, yeah. It opened up a whole new thing. And whoever booked it, God bless them, because it's such a period on the first half, and then it's like, if you think he won anything, my God, you haven't even started this sort of rumble, Ric Flair. Uh, I'm not basing this on anything but my feeling, but this feels like pure Pat Patterson to me. Because yeah. we know that this is a guy who is known for how well he can put matches together. And uh, and, and we know officially, like, he was kind of stepping down uh, after WrestleMania, and it was supposed to go to Jake, and it didn't go to Jake. So if he's stepping down then, you know, you know, he's a huge part of planning out this Rumble. And if this is Patterson, and I believe it is, this has got to be some of his finest work. Yeah, anybody that's fingerprints is on this thing. It's Hall of Fame uh, worthy, I think, if you had anything to do with how this all played out. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. When when Piper comes out, like, just watch that moment. There are moments in life where just, like, just that moment, the crowd reaction, the anticipation of what will happen is just over the top. If you have ever seen the famous... Mick Foley title win over The Rock. You know the moment when Austin's music hits, the roof just blows off the building. I got a similar feeling here when Piper comes out and flares alone, nowhere to hide. The crowd is just going nuts for it. It's an amazing moment that you have to check out. Yeah, Piper is also such a conscience and a reminder for other people. Mm. You know, Hulk Hogan turns heel, becomes the leader of the NWO smashes the giant, smashes Randy Savage. He's going to go to Hollywood. He's wearing a, a a toupee or a wig or something, I think, at this time, because he's so far above WCW that nothing can touch him. And whose music hits? Roddy Piper's. A reminder. Mm. I'll remind you that you're a human. I'll remind you that your feet touch the ground. And Ric Flair... It's halfway through this thing. He faints in the ring. He's won the Royal Rumble. And here comes Roddy Piper <laughs> from his past. Let me remind you who yeah. you are. It's beautiful, man. It really is. Oh, my God. It's so and good. Aside from The Undertaker, who we'll get to, I don't blame you for skipping The Savage because what you left out was the Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Uh, <laughs> and then we get IRS and we get Jimmy Snuka. But Hacksaw was my first one that was like, Okay, I'm disappointed in who came out. <laughs> That's pretty good to get to 17 without saying yeah. that. But, yeah, no, it's a, a little bit of a weak run in there. But it um, is. Yeah. Oh, man, but not to not to skip ahead to that too quickly, because this is one of my favorite exchanges in uh, all of wrestling commentary history, I think, when you've got Flair, Piper, and Jake in there together. And uh, they're all fighting, and you have uh, Gorilla Monsoon. Piper, oh, he's saving Ric Flair from Jake the Snake. Bobby Heenan says, I never thought I'd say this, but thank you, Piper. It's a kilt. It's not a skirt. It's a kilt. <laughs> Monsoon says, oh, now Piper's going after both of them. Bobby Heenan, you no-good skirt-wearing freak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it's incredible. Bobby Heenan, <laughs> all through this match, never better than this, but all through this match, will either love you or despise you from one moment to the next based on how you are treating Ric Flair. Yes. And here's the thing. I don't think many people are smarter than Bobby Heenan, but let's just pretend in theory that a lot of people were. But he's just he's the same amazing Bobby Heenan. But, man, you could hire these writers 
and they they did this for a living. They went to school. They 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 ran. They wrote on a TV show that's not pro wrestling. Like even if you could pretend like all of that is true, they're better writers and they're smarter than you. Nobody can write this stuff. Like you cannot before the rumble starts write these Bobby Heenan lines. They are felt sense in the moment, and it cannot be duplicated. So. Even if everything was better about going the other way, that is one thing you can never, ever take away. Yeah. This is this one hour, and really the whole show, like you said, but especially this one hour, is the culmination of a guy who cut probably thousands of promos off the cuff uh, standing next to Nick Bockwinkel or Ray Stevens or Paul Orndorff or anybody. Uh, This is a guy who never probably had a script put in front of him in his life and never needed one. This is a guy who cut probably also thousands of hours of commentary sitting next to Gorilla Monsoon on Wrestling Challenge, talking about anything and everything, sitting on primetime, riffing, doing this stuff. You're talking about just a brilliant performer who understands in the moment the feeling, everything he needs to do, everything he needs to understand. And you're right, you cannot get this from an outsider. You can only get this through doing the 10,000 hours to become the expert and then probably doing the 10,000 hours probably 100 more times. And just there's nobody like Bobby Heenan. There's nobody like the the products you get of this era, the best of the best, some of the greatest stuff that you will ever see in wrestling. Yeah. And you ask, well, doesn't it take away from Ric Flair? Yeah, it does. And also, no, it doesn't. No way. (laughs) It's just a second one. I mean, though, it's a beautiful performance where you could you could almost watch the thing and not you could turn the visual off if you wanted to and listen to the audio and it still be amazing. Mm, yeah. But yeah. then it illuminates. Like I'm thinking about when Jake Roberts embraces Ric Flair with some kind of handshake or something and turns it into a short a short arm clothesline. Mm. Like without feeling Bobby Heenan's highs lows highs lows highs lows, there's no way to catch every time Ric Flair's experiencing that. Like, this might be the greatest bearing witness to a heel that we've ever seen in our lives. Like, Hulk Hogan, we get that. Like, every single thing is done to him. The announcers pour over. Like, they scratched his back after he after he hit him in the head with a chair three times. How did they scratch his back? You know, I don't know if we've ever heard a detailed account of what a heel is going through like we did in this hour of Ric Flair and the Royal Rumble. Oh, yes. Make no mistake, Ric Flair is the uh, protagonist of this story. Uh, in every way, shape, and form. Man, he is absolutely that. And the, how do you know? Bobby Heenan. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I just want to say real quick, I, I'm glad you said Paul Wondorf. Like I, I, I didn't realize like he's going through a lot of health things. And so shout out to Paul Wondorf. I also shout out to Dell Wilkes, who passed away. Like He was someone I was looking forward to in the Attitude Era. He was also amazing in GWF. So I just wanted to i uh, give two shout-outs there. Sure, yeah. Much love to Paul Orndorff. Going through some rough uh, medical times, it sounds like. And then um, the Patriot as well. So I have a lot more good things to say about him as we go along, I think. Absolutely. Um, IRS is in. Good wrestler. Not the greatest gimmick. Jimmy Snook is a waste of time at this point. Uh, and then The Undertaker is in, which, like, by itself, just in his gimmick, is a big deal. But he's also the former world champion right now. So Undertaker... I think if if Jake Roberts signified something, or excuse me, um, 
Roddy Piper signified like a rising tide. Undertaker's going to raise that tide even further, and then we got on the back of that some more folks coming in. Sure, yeah, Undertaker's here to wash the shore out a little bit. <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, Yeah, but uh, it's interesting, too, because uh, the, the stipulation of this match is that Undertaker and Hogan were guaranteed to be in, like, the final ten or so because they were, you know, kind of the claimants to the world champion. And here's Undertaker kind of getting the worst draw he could have gotten, and they talk about that on commentary as well. It's an interesting point that uh, he came in at number 20, and, um, you know, who knows? If he came in a little bit later, could be talking about a different conversation here. Yeah, that is a good point. I feel like... The Undertaker performance is sad, not because of Undertaker. I think they booked him a little underwhelming. It's almost like we're done with you on that level, so we're gonna not we're gonna drop you down one notch. Mm. Oh, he he was ter- terribly at risk, I think, at this time of of becoming King Kong Bundy or you know anybody yeah. else who might fall down and uh, never regain his relevance. So he has a, a nice nice running here, but yeah, not not doing a lot of eliminations. Um, kind of. Uh, you know, I love seeing him in the match, but yeah, it's a little underwhelming compared to him winning that title. And now, you know, he comes in at number 20 and he'll go out when there's still like tons of folks left in there. So not quite on that same level. Yeah. I think about WrestleMania four, even though Savage won it, you would think the only three people in it are Hogan, Andre and Ted DiBiase. <laughs> they were at the scene of the crime, you know, yeah, yeah. Undertaker's at the scene of the crime. He's the Andre in this and he's not exactly treated like that. He does have a good outing. I'm not complaining about that. I'm not saying he had a bad outing, but I'm just saying uh, he came in more of a heavyweight than he might have left. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, true. And, um, you know, he's a guy who will fight Jake. I don't know what was on the plan for him. I think at one time maybe he uh, was going to fight Ultimate Warrior, but that's long gone. And uh, thank God, because we wouldn't have had that streak in later years, I think. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> dodged a bullet there. But yeah, he'll he'll fight Jake. So I, I don't know what else was on the cards for him. He'll he'll be going down a little bit, but you know he's not going anywhere. We're gonna have him around for a long time. Yeah, Flair goes right after him, and Bobby Heenan says, "What is wrong with you, Rick?" <laughs> That's what you were talking about. Yeah, the critique yeah. of Rick Flair. So uh, so yeah, there's there's something going on there. All right, man. Next up is Macho Man Randy Savage. Who he knows how to. He's got the um. What were we talking about? The Exploder. Oh <laughs> he, yeah. He can burst. <laughs> he's a never-ending exploder he probably wishes he could stop exploding as we've said before uh yeah no he charges the ring um but i love this he comes down looking for jake and jake he goes into hiding basically until randy savage uh, you know he's kind of caught by other people they beat him up and then uh jake kind of comes in and, and fights him from there but it's all for not because savage will throw out jake the snake anyway so their their issue is not yet over we will hear more from these two before all is said and done yeah and undertaker seems like a faithful friend because he is all over randy savage blocking the jake roberts randy savage thing throughout <laughs> oh if only that partnership could have continued longer that would have been a beautiful thing yeah i agree interesting we get one of uh, undertaker's future opponents out next which is berserker Yep, the man will try to stab him with a sword, uh, which, you know, if you're a zombie who doesn't feel pain, that, you know, that's probably a smart thing to do, actually. Yeah. Bobby Heenan says, I never thought I'd say this, but weasel your way out if you have to. <laughs> and think about what it would mean 
for Bobby Keenan to say that, that that's, that's something incredible. Um, you know, Bobby Keenan willing to sacrifice anything at this point, you know, selling off his dignity. I think he'd sell off his soul if there were any buyers, if it would just get Ric Flair over the line here. Yeah, he said it. This is everything, you know. Uh, I think he's looking forward to leaving Gorilla Monsoon behind and maybe retiring or something in his mind. <laughs> maybe so. He says, uh, uh, I don't think Flair can take much more of Monsoon. And Monsoon says, I know you can't take much more brain, <laughs> which is true. This guy, you know, I, I really think he was in physical danger during this match if Flair didn't win. Yeah. I appreciate that we take care of our um, employees better now than we used to, but uh, they might have had to remove him from the booth if this was now because he might be <laughs> at a danger level. He's redlining for sure. Yeah. So Virgil's out after this. Uh, I'm just going to hit some of these and we can go backwards. Uh, we got Virgil, we got Mustafa, and we got Rick Martel. Yep, yep. Uh, not too much to say about the first two there. Um, Rick Martel, though, he's had some long stints as well he'll, he'll go pretty deep in this he'll kind of go out a little before kind of the final stretch but uh got to show some love for rick martell um also throw this one in there uh grill monsoon talking about those stats oh bushwhacker luke has the record for the shortest time in the rumble who cares about the bushwhackers says bobby heenan how yeah. long has flair been in it god that's the right thing to say <laughs> Oh, so disgusting. Okay. All right. Yeah, Rick Martel's got a new haircut, but, like, you got to respect these guys. Like, they know their record's going to be broken, but he's out there hustling, trying to, you know, trying to do what he can. Yeah, absolutely. He'll have another, uh, a few more good runs, I think, in different rumbles, I hope, if I'm remembering right. Um, so, yeah, more good Rick Martel stuff to come. Yeah, so Hulk Hogan is up next, and he's going to have himself a nice little run to start. Oh, yeah, Hulk Hogan coming out with, like, a house of fire. And what did you think of the crowd reaction for Hogan coming out here? I thought there was one or two. I feel like you're going to say that he did not get a good response because I feel like you've said that now. I thought there was, like, one or two times that he got a good response. Yeah, I won't say he got a bad response. I'm just comparing and contrasting to, like, what it would have been in previous years. I just feel like it was a lot less than it would have been, you know, even a year before, I think. Yeah, I think the difference is, like, Hulk Hogan used to be above everybody else. Like, he is among them now. Yeah, absolutely so. Like, there was a time where he was just transcendent, untouchable, you know, more popular than God, and he just ain't there anymore. Ah. It's weird because I thought, I felt like he got a pretty good ovation when he came out, and then he's going to get a hot run where he'll get a little bit. The other is weird because Sid will get a good ovation when he comes out, and he'll get a good ovation against Hogan. But when he starts doing his act. If you want to know who's better, I hope you already know, between Hulk Hogan and Sid, watch Hulk Hogan's early part in the Rumble and then watch Sid. Like The minute Sid gets in the ring, he moves like a fish out of water, and it looks like he's barely t- He's very ginger or gentle or something with everybody, and it's like his ovation goes away until they can find a place to give it to him. And even part of that might be an anti-Hulk Hogan thing more than a... But like, I think it is. Sid is never more popular than before he does anything. Because yeah. as soon as he does, you have to remember, oh, wait, he's terrible. <laughs> Perfect. Because he plays the crowd. We said this in the early WCW. Nobody plays to the crowd like Sid. Right. And that's not like he does it better than anyone. He just does it, like, so weirdly and overtly. Like, he'll stand there and just look around at the crowd <laughs> while he clearly should be doing something else. But I guess he's just got that intense... Uh, 
aura around him and that look on his face. And sometimes that gets people. So I, I don't know. I can't even really explain it, but um, it's something going on there, I guess. Yeah. I was just super disappointed. Folks can go back and watch it. But the minute it <laughs> hits that ring, he throws the weakest offense I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's Sid. That's what he always does. Yeah. Unless he's, like, powerbombing a jobber, Sid doesn't look like he could hurt a fly ever. Yeah. So, you know, there's a reason he played softball, because he's soft. Ha, ha, ha. No, anyway. <laughs> he goes, Hogan goes straight after Flair, which, again, they're always, like, kind of building to this, and also it's also not seeming like it matters. Like, you never get an impression, like, oh, my God, this is Hogan and this is Flair. Like, so. Yeah, yeah. Some uh, some kind of magic is not there where it should be. You know, all the magic is with uh, Flair, honestly. You know, yeah. and Hogan, like you said, he's just kind of among them now. Uh, but this is where Bobby Heenan begins bargaining with God that he will never do this or that again, and then Flair just wins. Which I <laughs> Incredible. Just say. He says, I'm sorry for everything I've done. I'm sorry for everything I've said. Please, please, let Flair win it. I'll never say or do anything bad again. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Hogan eliminates Undertaker with a clothesline, which, you know, okay. Um, the, where where I have his other big response, whether it is or isn't, is after I think he eliminates Undertaker and Berserker. Yeah, I mean, you always get a pop for eliminations. And it's still Hogan. Like, he's still certainly among the most over people in the match, even if folks will uh, kind of turn on him later on. Uh, but it's just not it's just not what it used to be. Absolutely. Virgil and Hacksaw go out together. Uh, Skinner comes in, <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah, they uh, talk Hogan about Sergeant Slaughter like he's supposed to be somebody, but he's definitely gotten that Hulk Hogan down the yeah. drain treatment because he's not going to really do anything in here. Yeah, I know sold any reference to his former world championship and all that they were trying to say. Yeah, think about how what a better place we're in now than we were a year ago when he was out here doing his thing. So let's all be thankful for that. Something that gets almost no reaction is Hogan and Piper just start slapping each other. Yeah, I thought that would get more, to be honest, but um, it kind of gets glossed over. I don't know, it just got lost in the shuffle, I guess, but that feels big to me. Yes. Around this time, Ric Flair breaks the record for longest run, and Bobby Heenan says, give him the title. That's good enough. <laughs> oh, amazing. I love it. And then here comes Sid Justice. Big ovation when he comes out. Big ovation. Yep. And then he gets in the ring, and then yeah, pretty much what you... What? I, like you said, you were disappointed. I don't know what you expected, because this is, this is pretty much exactly what Sid always does. Just, he's six foot, what, ten? Uh, he's, a, he's paid to he's be a enormous. pro wrestler. Yeah, he looks intense. He grits his teeth. He's got this aura, and <laughs> nothing. Yeah. You know, nothing comes of it, ever. You would think that someone's so in tune with the crowd when they cheer him like this that it would just propel him to something, you know? Oh, he's impervious, I think. He acts like, he always looks around at the crowd, but he looks around like he doesn't understand, like, who they are or why they're here. So, I don't yeah. think, I think he's impenetrable to any kind of crowd reaction. It's a weird crowd, too. Maybe it's just not as sophisticated because we don't know the patterns as well, but he does a kip-up and clothesline that doesn't get that big a response. And I would think the way he gets a response at the beginning and the end, that that would just pop the whole building big time. Like, maybe the biggest of the night. You think? I forgot he did a kip up actually. So that's, you know, I'm yeah. glad he didn't break his leg doing it. I guess. Yeah, fair. Uh, Warlord is out. I think last. Yep. Okay, so we got Warlord. We got everybody in there now. Uh, 
Hogan and Flair on the floor. Uh, they went under the rope. Hogan suplexes Flair on the floor. Uh, Sid throws out Slaughter. And on and on, and we get our final four. I would say let's jump in. We get Savage, Sid, Hogan, and Flair, which is uh, it's a very, very impressive final four. It goes again to my point that this is such a star-studded rumble here. Yeah. And this is where it happens. And, man, at this time, anybody could win this thing, like, legit. Sure, yeah. I love after this, and we're going to talk about this more in future episodes, but when they have, like, that WrestleMania conference where they bring out, like, six guys, it's like, well, any of these guys could challenge at WrestleMania, and it really does feel like that. It just feels like the main event scene is packed right now. And, again, it's wild that it's just after WrestleMania, it'll be so depleted. Um, but at this exact moment, yeah, it is like packed to the gills in the main event here. Yeah, I don't know who I would have thought would have won this, but uh, Sid. Sid's doing his thing. Like He's got Savage on the ropes. Flair kind of gives a knee to the back, and the momentum uh, eliminates Randy Savage. So Savage, it's almost a surprise he's in there. He jumped over the top rope, and they thought he eliminated himself. So I was just he, thinking about that, how Randy Savage never uh, really seemed to know how the Royal Rumble works. Because next year, we'll see him going for a yeah. pin at the end. So, yeah, Randy Savage in the Rumble didn't always get along. Here's another reason why this whole Royal Rumble with Sid and Hogan makes no sense. Hmm. I already said, it seems like they're not doing Hogan any favors because his only line, make sure you keep emphasizing the fact that like anything anyone does is okay in the Rumble because there aren't any <laughs> friends. And then, I don't know if this is the way to make Sid bad, is that... Hogan is fighting Flair, and Sid stands back and watches. And then he comes up from behind. So I don't have to – like, when you calculate and you show that you might be thinking, that's a heel move, not a babyface move. And then when you come up behind. So I don't know if that's supposed to be like, oh, Sid's bad. Look how he stood back, and then he did this thing. Like, I don't know what anything's supposed to mean. I don't know what their goal or objective for Sid or Hogan was. I still, to this day, have no idea. Yeah, it is very strange. We talked about the strength of how well this was booked, and yet we do have this very strange moment here. And I'll say again, it's Hogan, so I do not believe that he would do anything that he didn't want to do at this point. I believe he had more than enough power to change this. So, God, for all we know, this was Hulk Hogan's idea, you know, and somehow he thought this would work out. It could be that. It could be... Uh, if you want to, I just don't know why they would kind of hold Hogan out to dry, but I guess it's a possibility. Um, I don't know. It's very strange. And yet somehow it's still compelling and it will lead into some of the most interesting stuff that we will see. Yeah, it ends up being Hogan and Flair going at it, but like we're watching it almost through the eyes of Sid Justice. <laughs> yeah, him, yeah, him standing back and watching is an interesting point. Like you said, it's more of a keel thing to do, I guess. But I didn't even necessarily feel like it that way. I don't know if I believe Sid, that or not. So. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm guessing because I don't understand what anything means here. Right, uh, yeah, no, it's very mysterious. Sid runs up on him. He dumps his good friend and tag partner, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Hulk Hogan hits the floor. And by God, we've seen this face before, if nothing oh, else. Oh, that face, Yeah. <laughs> That's what really gets me, because you can say what you want about Sid and what he, you know, did he stand back, did he not, you know, okay, whatever. But the look on Hogan's face, 
a man who so, so strongly in his rhetoric said, there are no friends, I will do anything to anybody. And man, maybe this is it, because like in the lead up to this, if you look at Sid's promos, he's the one who's like, you know, I'll stand in there with my friend Hulk Hogan, you know, this stuff. So maybe that's the reason um, that they thought it would get over, because Sid, if anything, was kind of saying like, oh, we are friends. And then he did this, so maybe that's the reason why it was a nefarious act. But yeah, Hogan will just look so betrayed and so self-righteous. And, well, we're going to find out what the crowd thinks of that in about a minute here. Yeah, I think everything's going wrong. I think it's the wrong time in Hogan's career to pull this. I think it's the wrong arena to pull this. Mm. And then it doesn't even go off. Like It doesn't go off quick enough, so Hogan, we got to look at his face you know, like Sid and Ric Flair are competitors still to determine a WWF champion. And it's historical because these are both NWA guys. They're guys who appeared out of nowhere. And we got to watch Hogan down there whining. And then, like I said, when he grabs Sid's arm, like, it's such a weak move because he doesn't even eliminate Sid. He's just like, I'm going to hold your arm. And he holds it for a long, long time. And it's not a strong move. I think, I think even how long this lasted in seconds help reveal Hulk Hogan differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the execution is uh, its burned in my memory for sure, and it's so strange on both sides, because, yeah, Hogan is just, like, holding the hand of Sid, yep. and I swear, Sid is, like, not even trying to get away. <laughs> like, he just lets his hand be held, and he kind of <laughs> looks at Hogan, but not even really. He doesn't have, like, much reaction to it. You know, he's Sid, so he doesn't have much range to show, I guess, but, like... I don't know. Sid is so... I talk about how keyed in Flair is to all this. Sid is like the ultimate guy who was never keyed in. Like, he will never react to stimuli in any sort of way that makes any sense. So, I don't know. It's very odd. And yet, somehow I feel like it doesn't take away from the match at all. It is like part of the charm and the interest and the quality of this match. That it does... You know, it's strange, but it's still very compelling. Yeah. I think I think many people it would, but it plays into Flair's strengths because Flair has yeah. no qualms sneaking up on you while you're being holding hands with Hulk Hogan and like giving you a flip over the top rope. Like winning the rumble is winning the rumble, winning the belt is winning the belt. He is the dirtiest player in the game. He's a sixty minute man. So there's nothing that either of those guys can do. I think that will belittle what is about to happen. Absolutely, and I will just say regardless of what was intended or not. This feels so perfectly in line with Hulk Hogan, with everything he has done in his whole career up to this point. This is a quintessential Hulk Hogan move, which is what makes me think Hogan, this may have been his idea, or he may have had some part of this, and maybe it didn't go off. Clearly it didn't go off the way that it was expected to, uh, you know, to benefit Hulk Hogan, but it fits him perfectly so i really can't say anything against it yeah and it's an unbelievable thing because flair's going to get his celebration backstage in a minute but before that it's all camera on hogan and camera on sid and it's that classic scene we're going to see a bunch in the future where all the suits and ties come out to separate them (laughs) but then hulk hogan puts his hand to his ear and gets nothing but booze Mm -hmm. yep and then Sid, in the most antagonistic face I've ever seen, drops down to his knees and does that thing, that come on thing, and the crowd erupts for him. Yeah, 
Yeah. And look at Hogan when he turns sideways and look like he turns his head sideways. There is a look on his face. And I don't know, because I don't know if he's cared about wrestling for years, but I think he's at the point where the WWF ship is burning. And is Vince going to go down? Is Hogan going to go down? And I think he's already in his mind, I am going to take what I've got and I'm going to get to Hollywood. Right. And so that look on his face might not be the fans booed Hulk Hogan the wrestler. It might be my escape is closing <laughs> because the only thing I have to bargain with Hollywood is what I bring like here and it might be gone. Mm, yeah, I think there's an element of that. I think there's just also an element of, I think you cannot overstate how bulletproof Hogan was at one point. I think there was a time where he could have come out and done anything and been beloved and cheered. He probably could have burned an American flag himself and just declared <laughs> Hulkamania was replacing America. And I think the fans would have gone along with it in 1987. So to get to this point, some years later to finally, you know, the fans kind of react to like the consequences of your own actions. I think it must've been shocking. Mm. I don't think there was any part of him that thought that this could happen no matter what he did. So I, I do think you are right. I think he's definitely eyeing his escape already, but I think this was just legitimately shocking to him. Hulk Hogan is a guy who has encountered relatively few professional obstacles in his life. So to have something like this happen, I think that's a shock. Yeah. Um, at the, again, if you look at his face, it's not Hulk Hogan acting because we know Hulk Hogan acting pretty well. <laughs> it's not an overstated face. It is. It's almost something un, underneath showing itself for like half a second and then creeping back under his skin. <laughs> Have you ever seen? You, um, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just. Have you ever seen? the Royal Rumble that Roman Reigns won and like the rock comes out and like congratulates Roman Reigns. And then yes. the rock looks around and he realizes every person in the arena is booing. <laughs> and the look on the rock's face, it just reminded me of this. It's, it's an incredible moment. Um, where, again, like, I don't think The Rock thought it was possible that people would boo when he came out, and yet uh, we get this moment, and it just reminded me of that here. That's a beautiful comparison, because <laughs> when you're that popular, whether it's Hogan in the 80s or Rock as a movie star, it's not even an, it is an ego, but it's not an ego thing, because when you do something, that is the decider, and then the reaction comes from others. You do the thing, and others react. So when you do the thing, and then others react in the complete opposite way, you, nobody's good enough the first time that happens to hide, I think, you know, that natural reaction to it. Yeah, yeah. The look on the face um, is very familiar. And, yeah, just for these folks who succeed in almost everything they do, to have that happen, it's just got to be a real shock. Yeah. According to Sid, this is where he gave his notice. Like He said when they went backstage, he's never seen a grown man behave the way Hulk Hogan behaved back there. And, like, he's swearing at Vince McMahon. They're going at it. And he went to Vince McMahon, at least according to Sid's account, and said, I, I want to leave the company. And Vince asked him, like, can you stay, like, through WrestleMania? And, but according to him, this was the night that he was done with the company. That's so strange if true, because Sid keeps coming back, and, like, he'll... I don't know. It's very odd, and it's odd if that's true, that they would still give him this main event. And... Yeah. 
it's just a weird scenario, no doubt. I can't find anything that looks close to truth about anything that happened around this time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would have to agree with that. Uh, much of this makes no sense any way you slice it, and yet it is compelling, it is uh, interesting, and... Um, yeah, I, I love also that Ric Flair wins here, and he is so excited that he jumps off commentary, the thing he's been wanting to do all night, actually. And, uh, you know, finally he can't be held back anymore. Yeah, already Flair is one, and Gorilla Monsoon is not telling him what to do anymore. <laughs> you can never tell him what to do again, or so he thinks at least. So. <laughs> yeah, for, for a month or two. Oh, my God. Oh, this is beautiful. This thing backstage, I, I have to shout out. Uh, Bobby Heenan with the Brain Buster celebrating their title victory because now yes. it's such a foreshadow of this. Oh, man. Heels celebrating uh, and doing it sincerely is a beautiful thing. We rarely, rarely get to see it. So this is great. This this is the moment that's so iconic in my mind, as great as anything else we have seen. Um, it is chaotic. Backstage, Okerlund talking to, to Flair, Perfect, Heenan. Other folks are around. Okerland is like scolding people to like calm down and like put out their cigarettes. It's just wild back there. It feels authentic. It feels real. And we get Ric Flair who says, with a tear in my eye, this is the greatest moment in my life when you walk around this world and you tell everybody you're number one. The only way you get to stay number one is to be number one. And this is the only title in wrestling that makes you number one. When you are king of the WWF, you rule the world. Think about it like that. Mr. Perfect, the brain. Woo! Woo! Oh, my God. With a tear in my eye, man. That is iconic in my mind forever. Yeah, it is. It's both Ric Flair, the veteran, and Ric Flair like a baby, like a first time winning and uh, like you said, he's the protagonist because what is he saying? Like, I just wrestled for an hour and I beat everybody in the company. Like, I had to prove it when I shouldn't have had to prove it, and I proved it. Like, everything that he's saying is what you want to hear from a champion, and he's convinced and convicted. Uh, this this lives forever appropriately. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. I love this promo. I love this moment. Look at the look on Bobby Heenan's face. Like, the genuine joy I do not know, come to think of it, what the relationship, the real-life relationship between Bobby Heenan and Ric Flair was. But, man, I would have to think that they were good friends just based on the way they've interacted, based on the authentic joy that Bobby Heenan seems to have out of this. Like, it's over the top. It's amazing. Like, they should be popping champagne. This feels like Andre... Uh, pouring the champagne on Hogan's head when he won the title. It's got that same, like, super positive energy to it. It just feels right, man. It's it's a wonderful thing. You can't tell me Ric Flair was even a heel in this moment because this is just a genuinely joyful moment. Yeah, perfect. And Heenan looked like teenage children with their father at one point. There's, like, you don't see heels laugh and smile and let their guard down like this. Yeah. And they go like different human beings because of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, this is, we talked about all the night. We talked about before the Rumble, the Rumble. My God, after the Rumble, this promo is as good as anything else on the show. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful show, man. I'm so happy. Like, every time, every time I get to this in one project or the other, I, I get this elated feeling all over again. Yeah, and it's. 
it's unbelievable that Ric Flair bested all these guys, and the next man up is Randy Savage. So mm. whatever narrative we have lived by and whatever calls it not to be anymore, we are. We have gone off-road and will never completely go back on road again. Yeah, yeah, the road uh, has diverged, you know, it's broken off, and uh, we're in a totally different place right now, and man, it couldn't be couldn't be any more exciting, like, from, we are smack dab in the middle of this beautiful time, from here to WrestleMania, it's going to be a wonderful ride, and then after that, man, the whole world is going to look a whole lot different. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, like, it's hard to follow something like this. We've been looking forward to this since we started the Legacy Series. It's part of the reason that we're doing WWF, the Legacy Series. Mm-hmm. So you would think when it's over, that's a letdown. But if that's the case, you don't understand what it's like to be Randy Savage at this time and be Ric Flair at this time and have the kind of feud they're going to have at this time. It is NWA good in a WWF WrestleMania setting. <laughs> it's beautiful, man. It's a combination of so many things that make wrestling great, and it is a, a defiance of the stupidity that we dealt with the year before, with the stupid Sergeant Slaughter Hulk Hogan thing. It is a defiance of that and a testament to the greatness of wrestling that you can go from that to this and just uh, have just a wonderful feud and match that we're going to have in our main event here for our world title. I'm going to try to do my job next week or two weeks from now, but... Part of me just wants to know what it feels like to turn the TV off after Randy Savage and Flair and see what WrestleMania 8 feels like if it ends right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, we're, we're going to have a lot to say about that because uh, we are going to get Randy Savage and Flair. We're also going to get Hogan and Sid. We're going to see Papa Shango. We're going to see the Ultimate Warrior. We're going to see a lot of harbingers of uh why the rest of 1992 is not as good as this amazing run that we have been in so things uh things are they're gonna get they're gonna get a little worse you know after wrestlemania we're just gonna have to deal with that as it goes yeah um i'm not there yet i'm not selling that yet um i think what's curious to me again about ever trying to figure out the truth of this is you got to think, I think Vincent Mann knew Hulk Hogan was leaving the company. And he probably knew Sid wanted to leave the company. So how in the world do we end up with the main event that we end up with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's another huge mystery, I think. I mean, it's got to be, right? So, very and strange. You yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's very strange. It doesn't none of it makes Like, he brought Sid in to be the next Hulk Hogan. He never was going to be, but in Vince McMahon's mind, I'm probably, like, he's not, he's Hulk Hogan instead he's taller and bigger, you know. But <laughs> then you got, Hogan is the baby face, but he's getting booed, and he's leaving the company. Sid is the heel, even though you brought him in to replace Hulk Hogan, and he's not, like, he's not as gone as Hulk Hogan. Yeah. No, it's going to be more strange decisions that uh, I don't really understand. Yeah, why put Hogan and Sid together? Neither one of them is going to be there the next day. You know, why make that your main event? Why do any of this? Why? It's just, uh, I don't know. I think they couldn't quit Hogan. I think maybe they couldn't quit Sid either. Maybe maybe Vince thought he could convince him to stay or something, but mm-hmm. uh, that, that ain't going to happen. So, <sighs> yeah, at least they won't have to downgrade their uh, arena this time. Um, yeah. You know, so they got that going for them. You can't have Hogan and Flair because it's not enough of a draw. 
but you can't have Flair and Savage after Hogan because he's too much of a draw. <laughs> I can't put two pieces to this puzzle together, much less the whole thing. It's baffling. We will. Um, um, I'd like to try to do a episode between here and WrestleMania Eight, so maybe we can dig in deeper to this build, try to make sense of uh, maybe some of the things going backstage. But at the end of the day, yeah, I think we're still going to be left with some mysteries on our hands here. Yeah, it's just the way of things. I I never really cared one way or the other, but now that we're like purposely going over it, like Randy Savage finished WrestleMania four winning the world title main eventing. Like I think it would have been the right thing to have him go over Flair at the end of the show. Yeah, no, it only makes sense to me, but um, I guess just don't underestimate. Again, Hulk Hogan, just like the love they had for this guy and the way that they viewed him as the golden goose that would never stop giving. So, I don't know. It's very strange. Okay. So, congratulations, Bobby Heenan, Rick Flair, Mr. Perfect. <laughs> all-time great performance here at the Royal Rumble. Yep. All-time great. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed our performance as well tonight. We have also put in a lot um, to this show we have lived and died a little bit as well with the show, maybe not 77 times, but still, uh, hope you've enjoyed everything we put forth here. I think that's pretty much all we want to say, unless you got anything else, Mystic. That's it for me. All right, be back in two weeks with uh, most likely a bridge show, a, a road to WrestleMania show, and then uh, two weeks after that, it will be time for WrestleMania 8 to air. So thank you for listening along. Uh, if you ever want to shout us out, I'm on Twitter. I'm at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow anytime. Also, check out LPForums.com for a lot of great conversation. we got a great thread on there. Also, WrestlingHeadlands.com for a lot of great wrestling stuff in general. And last and not least, check out all the other programs on LOP Radio. Got a whole bunch of really good ones going on there. That is all we've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the mountaintop of Royal Rumble 1992. We'll be back next time. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salty tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I've never saw this one in so heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the 
the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered And salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya